Hello my friends, welcome back to Garda Goes Geek. On today's episode, I decided I wanted to take a look at a game that, despite its muddled and, you know, not very well received launch, has gone on to become my absolute favourite video game. And that game is Cyberpunk 2077. I hope you join me as I explain why this game has become one of my favourites and take a look at some of the things about it that I think are worth paying attention to. This episode, like many others, was one that was originally planned for 2023 and was specifically planned to align with a major franchise anniversary and or something else that would serve as a talking point for the contents of this episode. However, like many other episodes, it was being released or recorded during the Writers Guild of America and SAG-AFTRA strikes against the American Motion Picture Association. As a result, this episode and many others have been held back because the clarification regarding content creation from SAG-AFTRA and the WGA um, specified that review content was allowed, including critical appraisal and or analysis of shows and films, however not discussion, interview, comedic conversation, watch-along, rewatch, or reaction content. As I felt that this stipulation was something that would prevent me from discussing some of the topics that I wish to in the way that I wish to, even if the works I was discussing were not related to films that were in active development or, or were previous films, I did not want to breach the strikes as I fully support the WGA and SAG-AFTRA in their strikes, as well as anyone else who decides to strike. If there is a strike, I am always on the side of the union striking, never on the side of the big corporate entities behind it. As a result, this episode has been held back. It is being released for you now that the strikes are over. I hope you will enjoy this content. Um, I've worked very hard on it, despite everything else. Please enjoy. Now, Cyberpunk 2077 is based on the Cyberpunk tabletop RPG um, written by Mike Pondsmith, um, which was originally published back in the 80s. I don't have the exact year to hand, um, but I know it's been like one of the you know, one of those tabletop games that's kind of been around, sort of a more niche one, because obviously, you know, your big ones are things like Dungeons and & Dragons and Pathfinder and, uh, you know, the sort of the fantasy ones. But Cyberpunk obviously offers something a bit different, being set in a sort of, you know, William Gibson, Neuromancer, Blade Runner-inspired um, cyberpunk dystopian future. In particular, it is set in the sort of independent city. At least I believe it's independent. I don't think it's part of the new United States of America anymore. Um, the city of Night City. Night City is essentially owned. It's based, it's uh, in California. It's on the coast in California. And Night City is essentially a city owned by the corporations. 
you know, the, the biggest one is the Arasaka Corporation, a Japanese conglomerate ruled by Saburo Arasaka. Um, there's also obviously gangs and mercs and fixers that you can run into. And the idea of the tabletop game is you play as a, a merc or... Um, you know, you can take different backstories. I think you can also be a media and a uh, rocker boy and other different types of character classes. You know, very sort of grungy, grimy, sci-fi, dystopian aesthetic. You know, you can give yourself um, cyber mods, which obviously enhance your abilities. You can gain experience. You could, you have a cool rating, which is based on the sort of clothes that you wear. Uh, and all sorts of things like this. It's it's quite a cool concept for a tabletop game. I don't play um, any tabletop games, really. I'd really like to, by the way. Um, if anyone out there would like to play anything like this with me, I'm so down. Um, but yeah, I don't really play many tabletop games, but I like the idea of cyberpunk as a concept. However, my first exposure to cyberpunk, like... Well, this particular cyberpunk, not the whole genre. I think my original exposure to the whole genre was seeing The Matrix when I was a kid. Um, but my original exposure to this cyberpunk um, came about, like many and many other people, with the release almost 10 years ago now of that very first CGI teaser trailer, um, which was released by CD Projekt Red, which featured um an amazing song called bullets um i'm not even sure how you would define bullets i uh, think the band archive are kind of defined as like electronic you know um got a very electronic kind of vibe you know dance vibe but also a bit indie you know it's not quite a dance song um and yeah, the trailer features a uh, a woman in the street. Um, there's it's obviously shot in slow motion. She's she's still the camera is panning around her, and as it pans around, it's revealed that she is surrounded by corpses um, that have been sliced apart. Um, there's blood everywhere. She's in not many clothes. She looks almost like she's in a surgical gown, like a sci-fi surgical gown. And as the camera pans around, it's revealed that she has mantis blades, which are a type of cyberware in the game. Um, she has cyber ma uh, mantis blades coming out of her arm. They're like these long swords that make like praying mantis style things, but kind of fold into your forearm. And she has those sticking out of both her arms. She's also surrounded by heavily armored police who are dropping from a, um, a hover ship um, who, you know, Anyone who's aware of the world of the game would know that they are the max tack. They are like, you know, the the ultimate NYPD, uh, NCPD response. Not NYPD, that's New York. NC, Night City Police Department response. And they are bought out for the worst criminals, um, especially cyber psychos, which is what it is implied this main character is. She is someone whose cyberware has uh, given her a psychosis, and she has gone rogue and obviously killed a load of people. Uh, we see them open fire on her. We see bullets impact her face and shatter because of obviously the intense cyberware that she has built in under her skin to make her essentially bulletproof. And, you know, this was an amazingly 
simple trailer, but it was really well shot and it kind of really captured my imagination. Like I knew nothing about the gameplay, knew absolutely nothing about it. All I knew was that the Mantis Blades looked cool. The idea of being bulletproof looked really cool. I didn't know if you were going to play as the character. I didn't know if you were going to play, you, you know, would you play as the woman? Would you play as a member of Max Tack? No idea. But, you know, seeing this this hover ship with futuristic police surrounded by these neon skyscrapers and, um, you know, sort of fluorescent lights cast down over her over this woman kneeling in the rain with this really impressive cyberware and this brutal violence all around her. I don't know, it just really captured my attention. And then, of course, I, I saw the, the bit at the end and it just said... Um, Cyberpunk 2077, and I was like, okay, that sounds cool. I know what Cyberpunk is. It's set in the future. I like sci-fi stuff. This sounds right up my alley. Um, by CD Projekt Red, and I'm like, okay, I've not played the Witcher series, but I know that they're like really beloved. Uh, I've heard nothing but good things about them. Um, you know, CD Projekt Red. You know, I've, I've, like I said, I've not played their games, but I know that they're some of the best in the business when it comes to making RPGs. I know they're also Polish, um, which makes them very different from a lot of other American developers. So this should have a very unique aesthetic to it. Um, and then the final tag part of the tagline, which says "released when it's ready," um, and that was it. That was all we got for years. <laughs> literally years that was all we had to go on i must have watched that trailer hundreds of times i added the song to my playlist on um you know the song also by the way has a great music video really good music video very trippy um and yeah i can see why they chose it having watched the music video for it. it's got a real kind of disassociative uh psychosis kind of vibe to the video it's very cool um, but yeah, it just really captured my attention. And I like the idea of it being out when it was ready. You know, this came out in 2013. There'd been so many stories, even back then, of crunch in the game industry and, um, you know, things being, you know, rushed out and, and not clearly not being ready. And, you know, it's so much worse now than it was then and cyberpunk did unfortunately fall victim to it you know they weren't quite honest with that where they said released when it's ready because eventually they got to a point where it's like no we have a release date we have to meet it and you know i'll get into that probably actually no i don't want to get into it any further basically the the game came out couple of years ago now, on the cusp of the release of the next generation of consoles, so the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. But obviously, they were in short supply when it released. And so, as a result, um, the game was also developed for Xbox One and PlayStation 4. But it was clearly not designed with those consoles in mind. Um, and, you know, apparently the performance on those consoles is pretty terrible um, at launch. And, you know, even to the point that now, like a couple of years later, they're approaching the release of the DLC Phantom Liberty. The big, not even a DLC, it's it's like an expansion pack for this game. Um, and I know based on previous expansion packs that they've done for The Witcher, that this is going to be pretty sizable. Um, and obviously they've already done loads of overhauls to the game. 
Um, and this is just going to overhaul so much more stuff that I have like two characters ready to go. I have like one character that's going to be like brand new. I'm going to start Phantom Liberty, do the whole game again. And then I've got another character that has completed everything in the game. I've put like 300 hours into them. And I'm not joking about that, by the way. Like I, on Xbox, you can go on stats and you can see how long you've played an Xbox One game for. You know, some of the the big things that I've played, things like Doom, Mass Effect, um, we're talking, you know, a few days, a week at most. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> Cyberpunk, I think I've put in nearly, nearly a month of total playtime. I think the last time I checked, it was about 19 days total playtime in this game. And I still don't feel like I've found everything. I've ex- There's one character I have beaten every single quest on. I've, there is no markers left on my map. You know, this open world map of Night City. But I also know that I still haven't found everything. <laughs> um, You know, this game has just captured my attention I, I can do things like just drive around the city it is so much fun to be immersed in the world of night city um and i think it really works at what it's trying to do but i'm going to get a bit more into that as i go but essentially you know this is a a game that definitely had problems when it was launched and there were a lot of features that were promised like early gameplay videos showed features that then had to be abandoned or reworked and it's a real shame because i do think you know in some ways a lot of the audience was lied to i still still think the game is good and the work that they have put in completely free of charge over the past few years to make this game not quite what was originally promised, but so close to it, is worthy of applause. Like, you know, CD Projekt Red, they knuckled down, they really put the work in, and it shows. There has been a lot of really great content added to this game. Um, And like I said, completely free of charge. You know, if you've bought the original game, you're not paying any more for this these patch content. Like, each of these patches that they're releasing reads the patch notes read almost like a description of a dlc you know there are quest fixes and bug fixes as you would expect with any sort of uh, software patch but there are also new quests added and half the time they don't tell you all of the new quests and new encounters you have to go and find them or watch a youtube video to know where they are and there are some like that that i've still found there's even like easter eggs that they put in for other games and i'm like i've found some of them in the game and i'm like that wasn't there the last time i played this because it's clearly been added in one of the patches like there's a reference to death stranding in one of the the side quests and i'm like i swear that wasn't there the first time i played but the last time i played it was so yeah cyberpunk i was really 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 excited for i pre-ordered it um and i'm not going to say that i was stung by the pre-order i pre-ordered it knowing at the time that i was working in retail and it was coming out um towards the end of the year and i would not have time to play it because of how busy i would be at work so 
I put it to one side. And then, of course, I started seeing just how bad it was. Um, and obviously, I was waiting for my Xbox Series X because um, I don't think I had one at that point. I knew it was coming, um, but I don't think I had one at that point. So I was waiting for that. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll, I know it's not working so well on Xbox One, so I'll wait until the Xbox Series X came out. And then, of course, I got the Series X, but again, still busy. And it became a case of, um, no, it's still not quite there, but CDPR are going to work on it. Um, there's going to be a lot of new overhauls. And I'm like, okay, I'll wait until it's in a bit more of a, a playable state. I won't be able to get time to play it until the new year anyway. And they released, you know, obviously patch 1.1, patch 1.2. Um, I think I finally got time to play it um, when patch 1.3 came out, which was around about... It was getting towards my birthday anyway. So I'd had... I'd booked a bit of time off for my birthday, and I thought, do you know what? I'm going to sit and play it now. Patch 1.3 is out. Loads of people are raving about Patch 1.3. They said it's kind of basically stabilized the game. And to be honest, it had. The game still had a bit of jank, and there were a few bugs that I did run into. Nothing game-breaking, but things that did make me laugh, (laughs) you know? Um, Yeah, there are some bizarre things that show up, you know? Uh, Characters floating in the air even after you've killed them or uh, items falling through the floor so you can't quite pick them up um fortunately that doesn't happen with any quest items that i've had so far um but yeah i only really got one game breaking bug and then i accidentally overwrote that save and so the save beforehand so i'd completely lost that character because they were stuck in a game breaking bug and that was a character that i'd put about 150 hours into at that point um so that was a bit disappointing um but yeah it's it's good it's a good game and it's got a good story some great character work and obviously this is the game that features keanu reeves that was one of their big selling points remember when he all came out at e3 and someone shouted out, you're breathtaking. He's like, no, you're breathtaking. Counteries, man. What a, what an absolute legend. Um, you know, he came out, he's been involved in the marketing. Um, you know, he's pointing out just how much fun he seems to have had with this. And his character of Johnny Silverhand is great. The, the game's popularity led to a relaunch of the tabletop game, which is Cyberpunk Red, which kind of covers the gap between the second edition of Cyberpunk 2020 right up to the modern day um, of 2077. The timeline gets expanded and kind of covered in the games um you know there's there's things like the the night city holocaust which happens in 2023 um around august 2023 so why do you think this episode's out now (laughs) you know and yeah it's it's a good game and so i want to to talk about why it's become my favorite and you know to do that i'm gonna have to look at the the story the the gameplay and the world and the gameplay section is probably going to be the smallest one the world section will probably be the biggest one um and i might save the story for last because obviously there may be some spoilers ahead um but yeah if you would like to join me then please sit down and i'll explain why this is such a good game
yesterday's body count lottery rounded out to a solid and sturdy 30. 10 out of Haywood. Thanks to unabated gang wars. One officer down, so I guess you're all screwed. Because the NCPD will not let that go. Got another blackout in Santo Domingo. Netrunners are at it again, poking holes in the power grid. While over in Westbrook, trauma teams scraping cyber psycho victims off the pavement. And in Pacifica, well, Pacifica is still Pacifica. This has been your man, Stan. Join me for another day in our city of dreams. Actually thinking about it, I'm going to do some story stuff first. So this is the non-spoiler story stuff. So what I'm going to discuss here is sort of a basic introduction to the characters, um, some of the main plot missions, but most of it is all stuff that's within sort of like the first... 10 to 15 hours of the game and the any plot twists that I'm going to be revealing here are stuff that was already released in early marketing before the game came out. Um, so there's nothing here that is that should be too shocking or too surprising. It's mainly talking about the, the act one of the game and the prologue. Now, the prologue of the game, it depends on what life path you choose for your character v um so your character v has three different life paths uh, into how they enter the main game um the first option is to play as a street kid you grew up on the streets of night city uh specifically you grew up in haywood which is one of the one of the busier areas of night city sort of near towards the city center um so you grew up in Haywood, you have recently returned to Night City, you've been away for two years, you went to Atlanta, um, and you've recently come back. You end up in, you start and you've been in a bar fight, you've had your nose broken, so the first thing you do is in a Street Kid V is reset your nose. Um, you then go and meet with a fixer. And the fixer has a job for you. He's not even really a proper fixer, he's kind of like an elevated street thug who has lent money to the bar owner and the bar owner is actually in deep with him the bar owner pepe um and so pepe's asked you to just speak to him and sort of settle your debt so you agree because pepe's your friend so you go up and the the guy says yeah okay i'll let pepe off of his debt but you have to steal this car for me Okay, and this, the car he wants you to steal is this really posh sports car. It's a Rayfield Erendite. They're, apparently, there's only four in Night City, and this one's owned by some um, some corpo who works for Arasaka, which is like the biggest organization in the city. So you've been asked to, to go and steal it. You break into the parking garage where it is. Um, you get a lift there from an actual fixer uh, called Sebastian Ibarra, um, otherwise known as the Padre. Um, and, you know, Padre is one that appears quite a lot as the as the game goes on. He is responsible for all the sort of the gigs that you get in the late game for Haywood and uh, the Glen, which is the other surrounding area. But yeah, 
he gives you a he gives you a lift there, and along the way, you kind of you get to acclimatize to Night City. You get to sort of do some early character paths. There's an altercation with another gang where you can choose to interrupt and sort of defend Padre, or you can kind of be quiet and just let things happen. Um, doesn't really have any overall effect on anything. But you go in to rob the car. You've been given a bit of tech um, by by the guy. I've forgotten his name now. It's going to bug me. Not Dino. That's another fixer. Little Man Big Mouth is the other quest he's involved in. Never mind. Um, but yeah, so he gives you the, the keys to the Erendite. Um, you go in, you break the car's security, and you're like, okay, brilliant. Um, you get in the car, just as you get into it, someone else opens the door and puts a gun in your face. And that person is Jackie Wells. Jackie Wells is this big Latin guy, used to be a member of the Valentino's gang, quit them, and he's now making a life for himself as a merc in the same way that you are as V. And basically, he's been hired by someone else to steal this car. Um, just as you are sort of arguing over, you know, who has the right to steal the car first, uh, the NCPD show up. So it's Night City Police Department. The police in this are essentially just a better funded corporation. Um, so they're not actual police. They're like private corporate soldiers. Um, they just serve the city council rather than an actual corporation but in effect they are just a corporation they arrest you um the arasaka guy comes out and says they were trying to steal my car get rid of them um but jackie recognizes the guy arresting you uh, it turns out he grew up on the streets as well same as you so he lets you go you come to in an alleyway a couple of hours later and you and jackie make friends and jackie's like hey you know come with me um you know why don't we partner up you know we could we could be good together okay that's the street kid prologue and then from that you go into act one of the game the nomad prologue um features again just a little introduction story you are a nomad you are nomads are essentially traveling communities that roam around america following work um, so the, they're organized into different gangs or families almost. Um, and you were a member of the Backer family, the Backer clan. However, the opening starts with you looking in a mirror and ripping your patch off your uniform, your, you, you know, your off of your clothes, your Backer clan patch. So you have turned your back on your clan and are seeking a new life for yourself. And you are driving into Night City with some stolen cargo okay you are due to meet um jackie and jackie is obviously as a merc is going to help you get past the border into night city because night city is not part of the north united states so it is it has its own border which is uh, guarded by militech which is like the the government's private army so you like the government of the NUSA, that is. Militech is it's a corporation itself, but they have strong ties with the NUSA military. So, yeah, you team up with Jackie, you break in, you know, you go, you drive through the border crossing, you actually get interrogated by a border guard, and you have the choice to sort of 
you know, be openly confrontational or be quite subversive or even bribe the guy. Um, no matter what happens, though, this does end up in combat and you get chased by some drones. Jackie will take over driving the car and you have to shoot down the drones. It's the only one of the Origins that actually features combat. It's quite an interesting one, actually. I quite like this this uh, life path. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, ties in quite nicely with one of the endings, which I'll get to later. Actually, they all tie in quite nicely to at least one of the endings, thinking about it. Um... So, yeah, you you manage to lose the, the tail that you've got, you hide, and you decide to open the cargo anyway, because you know what? You, you're probably not going to be able to deliver it now. It's been written off anyway. So you open it and find out what it is. Turns out to be a frozen iguana. Apparently, animals of most kinds are just really rare in Night City. Like, um, all the water is kind of toxic, so there's hardly any fish left. Um, there's no fish in any of the rivers or the immediate ocean around Night City. Um, most birds are extinct due to an avian flu occurred a few years ago. A lot of livestock animals are ill due to, again, flu and other illnesses that, that passed around. And there's hardly any uh, pets. There's hardly any cats or dogs that you see in the game. Um, all kind of exterminated. So, yeah, the, a smuggled iguana is kind of a big deal. Um, and again, you know, you've turned up into Night City, you have nowhere to go, and Jackie, being this awesome dude, is just like, ah, it's all right, you can come with me, you can crash with me and my mum for a bit. Because, yeah, Jackie lives with his mum, uh, Mama Wells, she's great, a lot of fun. Um, and then again, straight into Act 1. The final life path, and this is the only one I haven't done a full or even a really full playthrough of the main game with, is the Corpo life path. Now, in this one, you are an actual, like, counter-security agent, and you work for Arasaka. So you are a member of Arasaka Industries. And Arasaka, like I said, they're, they're a private corporation owned by uh, a Japanese business interest, Saburo Arasaka, um, who runs them. He, Saburo himself is like 150 years old. Um, and, yeah, he, he's pretty interesting. He, he gets referred to as the emperor, basically. He's very long-lived. Um, but yes, there's someone new has been promoted into the counter security uh, program and your boss ends up kind of burned by her. You have several actions you can take as to, you know, what you decide to do about it, whether you kind of support your boss or don't. Either way, though, you will go and meet Jackie at a club. And in this life path, you and Jackie already know each other. You've been friends for a long time now. But at this point, um, while you're in this club, which is actually the club, uh, the Lizzie's Bar, which does appear later on in the main quest anyway. You know, you're in Lizzie's Bar and a whole load of corpse come up and try to arrest you. Basically, a whole load of corpo soldiers. And... They don't arrest you, but you do end up fired. All your cyberware is deactivated, your accounts are frozen, things like that. So you're basically starting from scratch. And obviously, again, Jackie offers you a couch. So yeah, it's... And then again, from there, Act 1 develops. So each of the prologues 
give you a different introduction to Night City and, you know, a different introduction to parts of the world around cyberpunk. The common themes, though, are always that you are on your own and you have nowhere else to turn except for Jackie Wells. And Jackie Wells is just kind and lovable. You know, he's he looks like this big bruiser, um, but he's just really kind and lovely. He's, he's a proper... They call him Choom is the term for friends in, in this. And he's just, yeah, he's a proper Choom. So, yeah. And then from there, you go into Act 1 of the game. Now, Act 1, depending on how you play it, you can spend minimum about two, three hours on, maximum about 20 hours on. Because what Act 1 does is after the opening mission of it, which is called The Rescue, which is where which picks up six months later. So you and Jackie have been working together for six months as mercs. You have been hired by a fixer called Wakako to infiltrate a scav haunt. Now, the scavs are a gang that is basically... Well, they all seem to basically be Eastern European. So Russian, Slavic, um, that sort of thing. They are essentially organ harvesters and human traffickers. They are basically abducting people from the streets, uh, hacking them up, selling organs, selling cyberware, selling all sorts of things. They are horrible. And this is like your first introduction. They are everywhere as well. They're in every district of the city. And I have no compulsions about putting every single one of them in the ground. You know, so um, they're, they're bad guys. They become very recognizable. They will have like these holographic masks and they appear quite a lot. And they yeah, every time you encounter the scavs in like a main mission or a gig, there is something awful that they are up to. They are just absolutely terrible. They're not worth dealing with at all. No redeeming qualities, no redeeming characters, unlike pretty much every other gang. So, <laughs> you've been hired to infiltrate the Scav Den to rescue a corpo called Sandra Dorset. Sandra was abducted from the street, she went missing, and she has a chip that basically pinged recently. So we narrowed down her location, but we don't know what status she's in. You break in, you go through the scav haunt, you have a couple of different ways of tackling it. Like you can do it stealthily, you can go in all guns blazing, which I quite like. There's a lot of variety. And the build styles of cyberpunk, um, at, at least in the, you know, pre the 2.0 update, because um, obviously that things are going to change when 2.0 and Phantom Liberty come out. Um, you know, pre that update, you are able to multi-spec your character. Like, you can do stealth without putting too many points in stealth, and you can be moderately okay at it. Obviously, the more points you put into, like, stealth perks and your um, things like reflexes and cool depends, you know, how much success, excuse me, how much success you have when being stealthy. Um but you are capable of being passable at any form of stealth or any form of combat in this game. And I quite like that because you can try 
to be stealthy. And that, there's been some missions in this game where I have done the full stealth run, and it's so good. You can just go in, you know, hack cameras and do this, that, and the other. No one will see you. You can distract enemies so that they move out your way and all sorts of stuff. Uh, you know, stealthily take them down, either with a, a neck snap or just by choke holding them until they pass out. Or, like I said, you can go in guns blazing. Now, this is obviously the first mission in the game. There are some quite tough moments if you if you go in all guns blazing, so you are better with the stealth version, but, you know, both can be done. You get in, you rescue Sandra. She's in the bath, um, a bathtub full of ice along with someone else, and basically the scavs put a virus onto her cyberware that sort of muted her tracking chip. The thing is, she's got a tracking chip and full coverage to trauma team. So you jack into her because um, you have your own personal link. So you're able to jack in and sort of hack her system. You clear the virus. And in doing so, her alert to trauma team pings. Trauma team is, again, another corporation. And they are essentially... Emergency services, emergency medical services, and they are going to fly in with an AV with armed soldiers to rescue her. So you take her out to the balcony, and yeah, this big epic moment, this trauma team vehicle swoops in, they get you to lay her on the ground, they take her away, and off she goes. This gig takes place in kabuki i think so you and jackie drive back to watson which is where v lives because v has now moved out and got their own apartment um within the last few weeks um you know there's actually like a montage clip going from prologue to act one and that's the the end result is you moving into your own apartment for the first time you know as a result of some of the money that you've earned with jackie so Jackie's driving you back. He's borrowed your car, and he says, "You know, can I can I borrow your car because I need to go and take my girl Misty out on a date?" And you're like, oh, "Okay, fine." Um, so yeah, you do that. He drives you home. Um, along the way, you get to see some of the world. You see, um, you know, the Watson being put on lockdown. You see Max Tack flying in and actually taking down some um, thugs that are shooting up the place. You see, uh, you end up getting in a, in a car chase with some scavs, which introduces vehicle combat. Um, yeah, just a few different things. But yeah, you end up, you go home, you go, go to sleep, um, wake up the next morning. And Watson is essentially locked down. So now, until you finish Act 1, all you have available is Watson. However, all the side quests and, I think, the gigs will spawn in Watson. Now, some of them are quite hard, and some of them have exclusive interactions, which means they're better safe for later. So I will say that if you're coming into this game fresh. Um, but, basically, you get contacted the next day by Jackie. Jackie has lined up a gig for you. And the gig is with a legendary fixer, fixer named Dexter Deshawn. Okay, he also takes you to see your local Ripper Doc Victor, who is a good friend of yours, um, because um, you're feeling a bit ill due to the virus that you cleared off of Sandra Dorset. So you go to Vic. He cleans you of the virus. He gives you a cyberware update. Um, 
which, you know, if you have the money, you can pay him straight away for. Otherwise, you owe him. He's going to give it to you on credit. You meet as well Misty, who is Jackie's girlfriend and works for Vic as, like, she runs, like, an esoterica shop. It's like a one of these uh, witchy, pagan, new agey type shops. Lots of incense, lots of tarot cards, things like that. Um, but, yeah, Dex wants to meet you because he knows Jackie and he knows T-Bug, who is your netrunner who works with you. Um, as a remote sort of person in the chair while you're on missions, but he doesn't know you. So you go to meet Dex, and Dex tells you a bit about the job. He says, he's basically, he's putting a heist together, but there's bits that you need to do first. First thing you need to do is to meet the client, because she's a bit nervous. The client is Evelyn Parker, and you meet her in Lizzie's bar, and you have a conversation with her. While you have a conversation with her, um, you also are introduced to Judy Reyes. Um, Judy Reyes is someone who edits brain dances. Now, brain dances, the ones she edits are technically pornography um, because Lizzie's bar is, is essentially a sex worker bar. But the in, rather than actually paying the woman to sleep with them, you pay them to see their brain dance. So you get a brain dance of you experiencing sex with them. It's a very interesting idea. Um, so she basically edits brain dances. And she, Judy is essential in this because she, Evelyn has a chip that allows her to record her own brain dances. And she shows you a brain dance that she has recorded of the heist location. The heist location is the penthouse suite of Compeki Plaza, which is an Arasaka hotel. And inside... The penthouse suite is currently occupied by Yurinobu Arasaka. Yurinobu is Saburo's son. And basically, he has stolen something from his father, from Arasaka, right? Um, that was developed by someone called Anders Hellman, because um, that plays a reference later on. And he is planning to sell it um, out from under Arasaka's nose. Evelyn has been hired to steal it. And so she's roped you in to do it. She's, you know, it's quite an interesting idea. And the, the whole brain dance bit is quite interesting. You get to analyze the brain dance, look at different levels of it, like uh, thermal layers, sounds, and you get to listen to conversations, all these different things. It's quite investigative and I really enjoy it. Um, and, you know, if you do this and you do it right, you and T-Bug can spot all the security systems, you can spot a weapon, you can spot all these different things. The other part of... The other thing that Dex wants you to do before the heist is he wants you to get a Militech bot called uh, the Flathead. He has The Flathead is something you and T-Bug will need to break the security systems at Compeki Plaza so that you can perform the heist. The Flathead has been stolen by a gang called Maelstrom. Maelstrom implant themselves with loads of cyberware. They're really kind of cyborgified. Like, they don't have eyes and things like that because they've replaced them with, like, all sorts of stuff. A lot of it is very... Yeah, they look very almost Borg or... Um, Warhammer Mechanicus, you know, that type of look. Um, you know, some of them, their most enhanced members almost look barely human. Um, but the thing is, the Maelstrom leader, Brick, that Dex paid for the flathead, 
recently got usurped by someone called Royce. Meanwhile, Militech are trying to find out who the leak is in their company, and there's a woman called Meredith Stout working for them, who is after the flathead. Dex gives you all this because you then have multiple options as to how you want to approach this quest in order to get the flathead. You can bargain with Meredith. You can get, um, you know, you can bargain directly with Royce. You can turn on Royce and take him out straight away. You can side with Militech. You can side with Maelstrom. Very interesting. And there's a lot of different ways. And depending on how you do it, um, you know, Brick might live, Royce might live, uh, Meredith might live, the person that she suspects is the mole might live. You might find out who the mole actually is, all sorts of things. Very, very interesting. I quite like it. Um, it's it's probably the most freeform quest, and it was the quest one of the quests that was shown off in a lot of the very early gameplay stuff. But yeah, once you've done that, you have the flathead, you have the information you need, you go to the afterlife, which is like the main uh, club where all the mercs and fixers operate out of, is where all the best jobs are available. And Dex gives you the information. He books you a Delamain. Delamain is an AI-run cab company. Now, AI is a pretty much illegal, and most of them are kind of confined beyond something called the Black Wall due to something in the law called the Data Crash. Um, so the fact he's a he's a an AI running his own cab company is quite interesting. Um, but yeah, he books you a Delamain to Compeki Plaza. You're going in with the flathead. You've got cover, making it look like you are people selling weapons and that you were due to meet someone from Arasaka there. You perform the heist. You manage to get into Yurinobu's penthouse, find the chip that you've been told to steal, which is the Arasaka Relic. The Arasaka Relic is a chip able to hold the stored engram of a person. The idea being that it will have access to that person's memories and you could slot it inside your head in the same way that you could with any other chip and you would be able to see and interact with the person whose engram is recorded on the relic. Now, you go in, you get told to steal the relic. You do. However, when you do, things go very wrong. And I'm not going to spoil what actually happens because it's a very good twist and it's one thing that isn't spoiled by the marketing. So I'm not going to say it. But things go very, very wrong. And when they go wrong, you and Jackie then have to get out of Kempeki Plaza. But Jackie ends up getting wounded. And on the drive back to meet with Dex, Jackie dies. You end up with the relic slotted inside your head, right? Because the actual case that you got for the relic in is damaged and the relic needs specific temperatures and specific environment in order to remain stable. So you slot it in your head because it's the only place you've got that you can put it. Okay. You go meet with Dex. Dex asks you what the hell happened. Um, and obviously you can't really answer. Um and Dex decides to get rid of you. So the act one ends with you being shot in the head by Dexter Deshawn. Okay. You, however, don't, you die, 
But that's not where the story ends, because immediately after you get shot, you experience a flashback mission where you are playing as Johnny Silverhand. And as Johnny Silverhand, you lead an attack on Arasaka Tower in 2023. And in during that attack, Johnny Silverhand places a bomb, a nuclear bomb, inside Arasaka Tower. He also hacks their database, Mikoshi. Okay? We don't know why yet. A lot of it's kind of up in the air, but it, it does kind of gives you everything you need to know. In the aftermath of the explosion, however, Johnny is captured, interrogated by Saburo Arasaka, and something called Soul Killer is used on him. Soul Killer essentially kills him and stores his mental engram. You manage to wake up inside the giant trash pile outside New Night City, crawl your way to safety where you are found by Dexter Deshawn and Saburo's guard, Goro Takamura. Takamura kills Dex after Dex helps to save you, and he starts driving you back to Night City. On the way... Goro is then attacked by Arasaka mercenaries. So despite the fact you are dying, you have to help fight him. Uh, you know, have to help him fight the mercenaries. And you both go to Victor's because you need somewhere safe and both of you are wounded. You clearly need a ripper dock. You get to Vic's. Vic, Delamain, and um, Misty help patch you up. They all work together. Because, um, yeah, you call a Delamain to get you back to Vic's. They all patch you up, and he re Vic reveals to you afterwards, after you wake up a couple of weeks later, that the relic is inside you, and the relic is probably what saved your life. However, the relic now can't be removed, and it's killing you. More than that, when you get back to your apartment, you see Johnny Silverhand, played by Keanu Reeves, who is on the relic, and tries to kill you before realising that he is you. Misty leaves you with some drugs that give you the option of suppressing Johnny or waking him up. And you have a, you know, you take one of them for that first night, put him to sleep, and then you wake up the next morning and start Act 2. Before I go on to discuss a bit more about the main sort of scenario of the game, which is Act 2, because Act 2 is the longest part of the game, um, I will just add that I, th I think I kind of skimmed over the life paths and didn't really sell them well. Besides the intro, you also get a lot of exclusive dialogue um, based on which life path you've chosen. And for some of the life paths, you, you also get a unique quest for all of them. Um, so as the street kid, Kirk, that was his name, Kirk calls you back up and gives you another mission later on. Um for the corpo, the, your old boss gets in touch with you and you have a chance to sort of resolve that, uh, the plot threads there that were left hanging. And the Nomad one is a bit of a surprise, so I don't want to give that one away too much. But it's it's, it's the shortest of the three quests, but definitely one, one that's quite fun. Um, but also you get some resolutions to different quests that might not be available otherwise. So some of the gigs and some of the... Um, some of the side missions that you can do in the rest of the game 
you might occasionally get a, a nomad response or a street kid response or a corpo response that allows you to sort of do things that can sidestep the mission or resolve it in a different way. And that can be really interesting. Um, and that also can also happen in, in the game as well. Like if you've done certain missions already, um, you can get different resolution in other quests. So a lot of the gigs and stuff are quite interlinked like that. Um, so that's pretty cool. That's a really nice uh, aspect of the game and the world building. So for example, um, you know, there are quite a few missions that have crossover one way or the other, and some some are quite overt and some are just sort of in the background, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but yeah, so the main plot of, season, of Act 2 is you essentially trying to find um, a way to sort of cure the condition. So you have a couple of leads and essentially three major kind of plot lines that you can follow. Um, Plot number one is work with Goro. Now, Goro is sort of on the outs with Arasaka, clearly, because of everything that's happened. Um, but obviously, he's now on your side and he wants to help resolve things. So he wants to help, he wants to get in touch with some of his contacts inside Arasaka, um, specifically Hana, Hanako Arasaka, who is the daughter of Saburo. Um, you know, because he believes that he can get her on side to help him deal with Uranobu. So, you know, that's that whole plot line. And there's a few missions there. Some of them are quite interesting. I generally tend to save those for quite late game. Um, but they are some quite interesting plots. Goro maybe isn't as richly developed as, as, some of the other side characters, but he does have some good interactions. The second main um, lead you have is obviously Evelyn Parker and trying to find her and get in touch with her. So you start by going to Lizzie's bar and getting in touch with Judy, and you find out that after the heist went wrong, Evelyn went back to work at Clouds. Now, Clouds is it's called a dollhouse, and it sends out that Evelyn is a doll. She's essentially... Um, a sex worker with a, a piece of cyberware in her head that allows her body to kind of run on autopilot um, based on the programming that the person has selected. Um, it's quite a macabre concept, actually, the whole doll thing. Um, but yeah, you go to Clouds and try and find Evelyn, but something has happened to her in Clouds, which then leads you on to several other missions. And you sort of work with Judy to help sort of find Evelyn, because Judy cares about her quite a lot. Um, the third lead that you have is in the brain dance. you saw Yurinobu interacting with a character uh, with Anders Hellman. Hellman is the person who developed the relic and is aware that Yurinobu stole it. Hellman is now on the run. Um, which you can find out by dealing with one of the premier fixers in Night City, who is Rogue. Rogue is also someone who has a history with Johnny Silverhand. We actually first really meet Rogue in the Arasaka Tower flashback. So you get to go to Rogue. You have to pay her for this um, to get for the information you need. But she will tell you that, yes, Hellman is on the run. He's working with another corporation called Kang Tao which is a rival of uh, Arasaka's, and he's essentially using them for protection. And But 
uh, Rogue says that there's someone that she can put you in touch with, who is Pan Am Palmer, who is also owes her a favor. Um, Pan Am Palmer is an Aldecardo, who uh, is one of Aldecardos are another nomad family. However, Pan Am is kind of on the outs with her family and is doing merc work inside Night City. So you can team up with Pan Am and together you can go after Hellman. And those are kind of the, the main plot threats. And by this point, Johnny agrees that you kind of need to resolve things. You know, he doesn't want to kill you, but he also doesn't want to die either. And the two of you also can work through kind of making a piece. There's several points in the game where you can have direct conversations with him. And depending on the outcome of those conversations, you can also improve your relationship with Johnny. So those are kind of the main plot threads, you know, working with Pan Am to get Hellman, um, approaching Hanako with Goro, or searching for Evelyn at Clouds. Now, like I said, there's a three-mission chain for each of them. There's also a final three-mission chain afterwards, and then after that final three-mission chain, you're kind of on the end, you know, heading towards the main end of the game. There's also, like I said, the tapeworm quest, which is expanding the relationship with Johnny, and that reappears at multiple points. So um, it appears four times after you've got certain interactions out of the way. So each time you complete one of the main quest lines, you know you completed it because you then get a tapeworm mission. Essentially. Um, in fact, no, not always when you complete it, I don't think. Because I think one of them happens quite early on in the, the quest to find Evelyn. Um, but yeah, and you can essentially tackle each of these quests exactly how, you know, in any order that you want. Um, you know, if you decide to go and use Goro first, you can play out that entire quest line to its conclusion. And then it's you'll be in a sort of a limbo state where you've got some of the answers, but not all of it. So you have to then progress one of the other ones and so on. And, you know, the quest line with Evelyn will directly lead to a new quest line, which involves a group called the Voodoo Boys. The Voodoo Boys are a, um, a group based in Pacifica, which is like one of the more lawless regions of Night City. It was designed to be a sort of wealthy corporate playground um, but has been left lawless and unfinished. And it's very post-apocalyptic in, like, the best ways. Like, the whole... It, it's like a full wild zone. It's been unfinished. There's these towering skyscrapers and, like, resorts and a theme park, and they've all just been left abandoned. And, you know, gangs are running all over the place. You know, and it's progressing that quest, which will actually get you some more answers. Um, and they have their own quest line, their own three-mission quest line. Um, but you don't unlock that until you've got quite far with the Evelyn quest line. So you have to kind of complete Evelyn's quest line before getting the, the Voodoo Boys available. And the Voodoo Boys were kind of hinted in a lot of the pre-release stuff, but a lot of their stuff is... Like I said, quite late game, quite spoiler heavy, so I'm not going to talk about it just yet. Um, but yeah, so that's Act 2 of the game. And the main part of the game is you exploring these quest lines, but at the same time, you're also still 
trying to build your own legacy, your own legend. Um, and you can explore some of the major side missions. Um, you can take gigs. You can take um, other side quests. And most of the major side missions are really good. Like one of the first ones you get is Mama Wells will call you up and say they're having an ofrenda for Jackie, which is essentially like a, a funeral. And you can go to the ofrenda, you can encounter both Mama Wells, you can also encounter Misty. You have the choice of interacting with them and either kind of bringing them together because they don't really get on very well. You get the choice of what you want to bring as tribute to Jackie, to the ofrenda. That's very cool. Um, at a certain point in the mission, you will get contact uh, a certain point in one of the main quest lines, you will get contacted by um, Elizabeth Perales. Um, she is the wife of the new mayoral candidate, Jefferson Perales. Um, Jefferson is basically asking you for help because it seems as though the former mayor, um, Lucius Rhine, may have been killed. Like his death may be you know not quite so accidental and he asks you to investigate um and it involves like finding information about brain dances and things like that which is why he hires you he actually goes to judy first and judy gives him your number um the Perales questline leads you into interaction with a night city cop called river ward um river helps you in your first mission with the paralyses and then later on has his own quest where his nephew is abducted by a serial killer called peter pan now peter pan is actually in a coma um i've forgotten his actual name it's not important um but yeah river's nephew randy went missing and has been linked to this guy so river asks you for your help but by this point river um is sort of on the outs with the ncpd um so it's all kind of a bit off book but it leads to a great quest line probably one of the most disturbing quest lines in the whole game uh and very memorable as a result um i don't want to spoil it but i will just say it's probably one of the best ones river doesn't get a lot of quest lines um river is a romanceable character there's there's several characters in this that you can actually end up in a relationship with um judy and river are the two main ones for if you're playing as a female v and pan am and someone else who appears later on are the two main ones for a male v um, I have never romanced River because Judy is an option. And Judy is really well written. And her own quest line is fantastic. And it unlocks after um, everything that's happened with Evelyn, once you've sort of rescued Evelyn and brought her back. Um, you know, Ev Judy is, she works with a gang called the Mocks. The Mocks, like I said, they run Lizzie's. They are all former sex workers. They're one of the smaller gangs in Night City, but they essentially have a, a small piece of turf that they fought to take away from a larger gang called the Tiger Claws, um, founded by a character called Lizzie, which is hence the name of Lizzie's Bar. Um, and they're very pro-sex worker. Like, a lot of sex workers have ended up coming to them 
Clouds is still controlled by the Tiger Claws. And Judy, being aware of it and aware of their situation, is very sympathetic to the dolls there. And so her quest line sort of revolves around that and has some amazing moments. And Judy herself is just this very well-developed, very well-defined, richly developed character. So I... <laughs> I, I usually play a female in games like this anyway. For for this, I played female V simply because I really like the voice actor for her. Um, and I tend to prefer a lot of her line delivery to the male voice actor. Not that he's bad at any, in any way. I just really enjoy the female voice actor. And her interactions with Judy, if you do pers- pursue that romance, some of them are absolutely beautiful like really nice and emotional and refreshingly honest um so that was that was lovely that's the main romance i tend to take um and obviously to get any of these romances you have to complete the quest lines for all these individual characters which are not main missions they're side missions so river you have to help him find his nephew and then you have to do another couple of quests afterwards judy you have to help her with the rebellion at clouds and then a few other things after that um with pan am her main quest line is you have to help her kind of come back to the aldecaldos and sort of become friendly with them she clashes quite a lot with the leader of the Aldecaldos named Saul um over sort of what direction um everything should go and several other Aldecaldos like Mitch are on her side um and several are on Saul's side but there's quite a lot of clashing between the two and essentially for a lot of her quest lines you have to kind of help her along and sometimes you're undermining Saul sometimes you're trying to help them sort of make peace uh, you know one of your first missions is you have to rescue Saul because he's been captured um but then after that she finds something that might give the elder Caldos an advantage and they're clashing over it so you have to decide to help her if you do you end up rewarded with something very very cool that complained one of the main ending options um so I highly recommend doing this quest anyway, um, whether you're romancing Pan Am or not. I, I really like the Aldecaldos. They're in a, a big base camp outside of Night City in the Badlands, and it's just lovely. Like, <laughs> it's it's a really nice place to be, is the Aldecaldos camp. And there's a lot of characters in the Aldecaldos that you can interact with, Um so yeah they're a lot of fun um some other side missions of notes um you can run into a vending machine with an apparent ai uh personality called brendan um he's absolutely lovely uh, first thing he asks you to do is to move a skip out of the way because he can't see the street um and he'll like interact with you and tell you jokes and sort of give you advice he's absolutely lovely um his quest line's a lot of fun you can find a mysterious zen master at several points in uh, on the map and he will sort of give you guided meditations using brain dances um based on the four elements that's quite a cool quest line he's he, finding him is a lot of fun um you get given a quest line called Beat on the Brat, which is essentially uh, underground boxing matches. 
And if you do all those, you end up fighting some very interesting opponents. You can make some moral choices based on what you decide to do. Some of them are harder than others, and it can end with a really fun um, fight where you go up against a, a major boxer. Um, there's one quest where you get hired by someone who wants revenge on the man who murdered his wife, um, a man called Joshua Stevenson. When you try to ambush Stevenson, the man who hired you ends up killed. And Stevenson, who is on death row, um, asks you to come with him. And it turns out that Stevenson has found Christ and is planning to die, but he wants to record his death. And he is essentially going to do the passion. Essentially, he's going to redo the crucifixion. Um, and depending on how far you want to progress down that particular quest line, you can even be involved in as the person who crucifies him. So that's very interesting and has some quite interesting philosophical bits. Um, yeah, again, one of the more memorable quest lines. Um, there's a very good quest line with Delamain of all people. Delamain is obviously, like I said, the AI controlled cab. He contacts you at one point because some of his cabs have gone rogue. You have to hunt them down around the map. It's a very good way of exploring the map, um, you know, because they're on all these different places around Night City, including the Badlands, and you have to kind of find them all. Um, some of them are quite interesting. Like, one of them is very angry and tries to run you over. Um, one of them is uh, voiced by Ellen McLean, who portrays GLaDOS in the Portal series. Um and is also the computer in Pacific Whip, uh, Pacific Rim. She is quite cool in this. There's some in-jokes to Portal, um, but essentially she's in Pacifica. She tries to... She sort of takes control of a whole load of the gangers around them and, and sends them to attack V. Um, so that's quite an interesting one. Um, and then basically after that, Delamain tries to sort of bring them all together and it leads to a bit of a, a crisis that he has to deal with and you have to help him with. Um, there's a, one quest where you get called up by uh, someone who's very, very secretive and asks you to meet them at a motel. You go to the motel. It turns out to be a singer called Lizzie Wizzy, who's voiced by Grimes. Um, and she's one of the people who contributed songs for this game as well. Um, Lizzie Wizzy is a lot of fun and her quest line violence is very memorable has a lot of interesting ramifications um, depending on how you choose to resolve it um, it's one not to be missed really and finally depending on how you resolve um, your relationship with Johnny as you're going through the tapeworm quests you can end up with a quest where he will ask you to kind of meet Rogue and tells you that the the Merc that's responsible for killing him, the Merc that you found, uh, that you fought at Arasaka Tower during the flashback called Adam Smasher, um, is in Night City because Adam Smasher is working as a bodyguard for Yorinobu. So... Johnny basically contacts Rogue and asks if they want revenge against Adam Smasher. If you do that, depending on your outcome of that quest, 
you can actually pursue a quest line with Johnny. And if you do, you use some of the tablets that Misty's given you that allow Johnny to sort of take control of your body. And you can do things like meet some of his old bandmates from Samurai, um, because Johnny Silverhand led, he's a rocker boy, he led the band Samurai. Um, so you get to meet up with former bandmate Kerry Uridine, who is the other male romance option. Um, Kerry Uridine is is great. He has a lot of fun quest lines. Um, and so he's just a really great character. Um one of his quest lines that leads towards his romance is him dealing with a, a musical issue with a Japanese laser pop band called Us Cracks. They're like this heavily um, manufactured, marketed pop group um, who want to cover one of, his, one of his songs. So that's quite fun. You can also end up um, sort of reconnecting with Rogue as well as Johnny. So that's a lot of fun. So yeah, there's some really, really great quest lines. And that's not without even getting into the gigs, because there are fixers all over the city, and each fixer will give you gigs. And the gigs are just like side missions. And sometimes they they, they can look deceptively simple, like go here, take out this target, go here, steal this, go here, upload this malware. But each of the gigs works as a separate piece of Night City. And in many cases, you can't reaccess them after you've completed the gig and they are all designed so that there are a multitude of ways of solving them like like the all foods gig um sorry the maelstrom gig where you you infiltrate their, their base at all foods and you have multiple ways of dealing with it now it's not quite to that extent because you don't have an outside contact but it's like you can stealth your way in you can um you, you can go in all guns blazing. You, some, are, you can settle with a conversation. Like I said, if you have the right conversation options. And others, you know, if you sneak past the right people, you can turn everyone friendly. Um, so it can be a lot of fun. You know, some some that are really obvious that are like, go here, kill this target. You know, if you want to, and you want to do it really easily, you can hack a camera, get the camera that's looking at the target, and then just upload um a cyber attack to them that will cause them to drop dead or you know you can actually go in and explore and if you go in and explore a lot of the time you're able to access things like computers and shards which are able to give you more context for a lot of these things and in fact some of the missions actually depend on these explorations to find out what's happening happened for example there's uh 17 quests in the game which are based around cyber psychos now cyber psychos are essentially bosses they're people who have had that much cyberware or had a bad reaction with their cyberware so they've essentially gone crazy and they've started um you know tearing things apart um you know just gone on a rampage and not only do you usually have to take down the cyber psycho, but also you will have to, and you can take them down either lethally or non-lethally, because one of the fixers, uh, Regina Jones, actually says she might have a way that could help the cyber psychos if you can bring them all in alive. So if you do that, you get to save them, um, which is great. That's really cool. Um 
so yeah, if you're able to do that and take down these bosses, because they are bosses, and depending on how leveled you are by the time you fight most of them, um, some of them could be a bit of a cakewalk, but I think that's all being rebalanced with the new patch 2.0 and that launches. So with Phantom Liberty, so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, they, they can be tough. And depending on your interactions and how you fight them, you can explore the area around them. You can find out exactly what happened, exactly what led to their condition. And depending how much information you find, that can alter the text messages that you can send to Regina to conclude the quests. Because Regina will contact you and say, well, what happened to this cyber psycho? And depending on how much investigation you've done, depends on what answer you can give. So that's really cool. You know, it's all, it's all quite rewarding the more you explore and the more you dip your toe into these missions. Like I said, my biggest criticism is the fact that a lot of these gig areas and cyber psycho areas you can't go back to because they're, they're developed areas, but a lot of them are kind of gated just for this exclusive content. And it's a shame because some of them I'd really like to go back to. Like, there's a couple that are set in, like, nightclubs, um, you know, so it's like, can we go back to that nightclub later on when it's open again? No, not really. Or, you know, one that's in an apartment building. And it's like, can we go back into that apartment building once we've cleared the gang out and see what it's like now? No. <laughs> and that's a shame. That's the biggest shame. I, whether that will change in a future update, I don't know, hopefully. Um but yeah, it's one aspect that I really quite like. So yeah, um, there's a lot of good stuff here. And I probably will go into spoilers a bit more in a bit. Um, but there's some other bits I want to talk about first. But yeah, there's a lot to explore in Act 2 of the game. Um, and like I said, there's, there's major side quests, there's gigs, there's cyber psychos, and there's so much other stuff. There's NCPD scanner hustles. There's organized crime activity where it's like you'll be given, oh, this is this is the main gang base and there's like a boss here that we want you to get rid of. And it's like if you go do those, you can get some rewards and also quite a lot of the time get a really challenging boss fight. Um, and, then you know, there's other quests that are just unmarked. You know, sometimes you also get reported crimes as well, which pop up as like in CPD scanner hustles. You go, you investigate. Once you've investigated, if you read the shards, read the computers, it might lead you to a stash somewhere. And then you get to go somewhere else on the map and explore this stash and you'll get some quite nice rewards for it. That's a lot of fun too. Um, and it's a good way of like building your character up quite early doors. And the best bit about saving most of this for Act 2 if you do, is that Johnny will comment on them. Not every mission, not every gig, but on quite a lot of them, Johnny will come in and he will comment on things. So, for example, there's one mission that's available in Northside, the north end of Watson, um, and it's available in Act 1, where basically a monk has been captured by Maelstrom and forcibly implanted with a whole load of cyberware. He asks you to rescue his monk brother, who Maelstrom still have, right? Because monks aren't supposed to have cyberware. Like, it's against their religion. 
So he asks you to go save his brother before something happens. You break into the Maelstrom area, and depending on how you act, you know, because the, the the monk will ask you not to kill anyone. Um, so depending on how you resolve that as well, different things there. But if you have Johnny available to you for this interaction, you get some interactions with Johnny based on the monk. Like, you can actually miss the monk if you're just driving past him if you're not looking for the quest marker. But if you walk past him, Johnny will point him out and say, oh, there's something you don't see every day, a monk with crone. And you're like, oh, okay. And things like that happen all the time. So there's lots of nice interactions with Johnny. And the conversations that happen between Johnny and V sometimes help you to solve everything. You know? Um, it's a lot of fun. Adds a lot of context. There's a lot of dialogue from Johnny Silverhand in this. Yeah. Mind if I ask you something right off the bangle? Would you rather live in peace as Miss Nobody, die ripe, old, and smelling slightly of urine, or go down for all times in a blaze of glory, smelling near like posies, without seeing your 30th? There's some sort of test. Eh, just a pet topic of mine. So, just want to speak a bit more before I go into spoilers um, for sort of the end game and later on in Phantom Liberty as well. Um, I'm going to speak some more on the actual gameplay and other elements of the game. I've kind of touched on some of this already, like I've, I've spoken about the Cyber Psychos, for example. Um, but I want to expand on the world a bit more. Cyberpunk 2077, Night City is probably one of the best maps I think I've ever explored in a game. And one of the things I really like about it is that this is a map that is... You know, they made the decision quite early on that unless you're driving, your character is in first-person view the entire time. And that works really well because it means there's a lot of things that you're doing from your own perspective. So combat is from your perspective, conversations, everything like that. And that works really well. But it also means that the city is from your perspective when you're walking around. Because, you know, I know there are mods and things that allow for, like, flying vehicles and stuff on the PC version. But if you're a console player like me, you don't have access to those things. And this is a really well-realized world even to just walk around in. Because you Night City doesn't look like any other open world I've ever seen in any other video game. It is completely fantastical. There are bits that look quite realistic and quite believable based on, you know, sort of an evolution of modern society. But then there are other bits like some of the the, the mega buildings, you know, where the habitats, you know, that are just giant apartment blocks. They look completely unlike anything else. You know, you can walk around Corporate Plaza and there's like the, you know, a giant roundabout in the middle of Corporate Plaza with like roads going under it, through it, over it. And then there's like shops and other stuff. And then there's a giant holographic projection of two fish. And then there's the enormous corporate buildings around that. It's completely crazy. And I really love how richly detailed this is. And... Yeah, for that, for me, it's one of my favourites I've ever seen in a video game. 
The city itself, Night City, is broken into five main areas, uh, six if you count the city centre as well. Um, So five or six main areas, plus the areas below the city and the the badlands to the west of the city. And to the west to the east. Um, So, yeah, up in the north where you start is Watson. Okay, and you first, you know, for the first part of the game, you only have access to Watson, right? Watson consists of Kabuki, which is basically like uh, Japantown, uh, Little China, which is where your apartment is, and you have access to some of the other early game quests there, the Arasaka Waterfront, which is where Kompeki Plaza is, and Northside, which is where you can find all foods, and it's also overrun with a lot of maelstroms, so you find a lot of the maelstrom stuff there. Okay, below Watson is Westbrook. Westbrook is where you first do the rescue mission, um, where you rescue Sandra Dorset. It's where the fixer for that mission is, Wakako. She's based in Japantown, which is, you know, because there's Kabuki, and then there's an actual little Japan town. Um, and I say little, it's quite big. It goes across, it's um, on the waterfront. Behind that, which is also part of Westbrook, is North Oak. North Oak is kind of set out like, um, I suppose a close analogue would be Beverly Hills. Like, it's artificially green. There's a giant North Oak sign, similar to the Hollywood sign. Lots of these big, expansive properties. Like, that's where Kerry Uridine's place is. Um, there's an Arasaka complex there, which plays um, a role in one of the end games, Things like that. Um, there's also Charter Hill, um, which is uh, a bit... You know, a bit more posh. Um, there's elements as well, like you can see, like economic differences between them. Like Japan towns feels very rich, whereas like Kabuki is very run down. Both of them are controlled by the Tiger Claws, but there's a very there's a huge difference in them. Then um, like Northside, for example, is way more industrial. Um, Next to Charter Hill, you've got Santo Domingo. This is still on like the main coastline. Uh, Santo Domingo is split into two main areas of Arroyo and Rancho Coronado. Um, Rancho Coronado kind of starts but leading up into the Badlands, so you, it's very low income area. You get um, uh, trailer parks and some industrial complexes and um, huge trash pile just outside the city, like the the big trash area. There's like a massive trash dumping ground. Uh, Several quests do take place there, but for the most part, you can't really explore it. Um, Arroyo is a bit bit more industrial. It's a bit more of a, like a working area. You have one island sort of coming off from the coastline. Um, So there's a river between Santo Domingo, uh, you know, Arroyo and Westbrook around this island. And that is the island that contains Haywood and the city centre. Haywood is, again, still not particularly rich, but it's got more money than, for example, Santo Domingo or the lower parts of uh, Watson. Um, And that's where you can find Wellsprings, the Glen, and Vista del Rey. But just above that on the same island is where you get the city centre, and that's where the corporate plaza and downtown are. They're like big shopping districts, big corporate districts, lots of corpo NPCs walking around. Because, yes, the NPCs change as you're wandering around. The most rundown area of this whole city, though, is Pacifica. 
Pacifica is below the Glen and below Arroyo. You find the main coast view area. You also get um, the West Wind Estate, which is like a rundown housing project. And then obviously the DLC area of Dogtown has been added into Pacifica as well, kind of walled off inside it. Um, below that is the Biotechnica Flats. This is like Biotechnica's big um, food growing and research area. It's absolutely massive you can drive through it but you can't really explore much of it there are some quests there but i I think it's a really underutilized area unfortunately um there's also jackson plains which has um which is a big expansive area below the city um sort of between santo domingo and the border wall and there are there are miles of distance between these uh, you know, the Biotechnica Flats are huge. Jackson Plain is mainly home to the big power center that's sort of running the city, um, which you, again, you go to for a mission. But for the most part, you don't really explore a lot of these areas unless you're doing, you know, hunting down gigs and um, assault in progress and reported crimes, that sort of thing. Near the trash pile, there's a, uh, a lake um, which was there was a dam created and on the other side of this dam in an area that's now flooded was a town called Laguna Bend. Laguna Bend plays a big part in Judy's quest um towards the end of her quest but for the other for the most part is relatively unexplored. Um but it's it's you know part of the history of the city that like Laguna Bend is there and it was flooded as part of like the corporate development. The Badlands itself, a big, huge desert area, um, mainly comprising of an area called Rocky Ridge. Um, that's mainly where you find the Aldecado's Nomad Camp. Um, there's also some other um, gangs out there, such as the Wraiths, which are a... I'm not sure how you describe the Wraiths. Like a, they're like a gang in the same way as like the Scavs, the Tiger Claws, the Maelstrom, but they're a gang that's out in the Badlands. Um, Rocky Ridge is also controlled mainly by Militech rather than Arasaka. Like it's Arasaka security that control most of the in it, most of the actual Night City itself. It's Militech who are active out in the Badlands. So there's a, a real corporate divide there as well. Now, each of these main areas has their own fixer. The fixer will be responsible for giving you the gigs in that area. So, for example, in uh, San- in Pacifica, the um, and then through Dogtown as well, the uh, fixer is Mr. Hands, who's given a huge amount of development in um, the Phantom Liberty DLC. For Santo Domingo, it's um, El Capitan, um, who's called Moama Reyes. For Haywood, it is um, Sebastian Ibarra, the Padre. For Westbrook, it is Wakako. Um, for the Badlands, it's someone called Dakota Smith. She's a, uh, an Aldecado as well. Um, for Watson, it is Regina Jones. And there's also um, Dino, who works in the city centre as well. And they're basically your main fixes around. Rogue does offer missions as well, but not quite in the same way as the other fixes. You need quite a lot of street cred to unlock Rogue's missions. The gigs themselves 
are quite good. There's also um, NCPD missions um, that you get given as well. So they come into different flavors. There's uh, Hustles, um, which are... There's MP- NCPD side hustles is how they're all categorized. There's Assault in Progress, which is like literally you stumble onto a scene and there's like a shootout happening or something like that. And you can stumble onto shootouts that aren't assault in, that don't count as assault in progress or kind of repeat. Um, but assault in progress is like, no, you have to go there. You have to deal with the enemies. You have to take this piece of evidence and that solves the mission. After that, they don't reset, but there's some that are like, like recurring, like radiant quests. Like there's a shootout that quite often happens in Little China, not far from your uh, your Watson apartment. Um, and if you're wandering through that area, occasionally you can hear gunfire, and it's like, oh, okay, I know where that is. And you go down the steps under to this little um shopping district bridge and then there'll be a shootout happening there between some tiger claws and the police um and you can intervene in that and that that's triggered for me about 30 times <laughs> so you know you you only really get the main rewards for it when you do it the first time but there's been several times I've wandered through that area and everything's normal but there's been several times I've wandered through and the the gunfight is happening so that's when that you know, that becomes quite interesting, you know, seeing these sort of radiant quests that keep repeating. But yeah, you get the the uh, the assault in progress. They're quite cool. That a lot of them will kind of pop up on your on your thing while you're driving around and then they'll kind of fill your map out. Um they are quite fun. Um there's the cyber psychos, most of which usually get given to you as a gig almost by Regina. Um, where she's trying to tell you to like, oh no, bring them in. And like I said, depending on how you explore those missions, depending on how much detail you can give to Regina about what they are, what's actually happened, and then obviously you've got the option of killing them or you know taking them down safely, you know, just incapacitating them. Uh, Dogtown also has its own cyber psychos. They're like cyber junkies. Um, there's quite a few of them. I've not found all of them, um, and they're not marked on the quest uh, in the same way that the cyber psychos are, so they do require a lot more effort to try and find them. There's also um, reported crime activity. Reported crime activity is usually um, a big... Similar to the cyber psychos, it's like a a boss fight, Um, but Usually there'll be like one main guy that you have to take down and a load of um, assistants and other soldiers. And they'll they'll have staked out an area of the city and you have to go in and take them. Like there's one in Northside, which is like this huge underground car park, which they've kind of turned, the maelstrom have turned into like their own area. Um, and there's a couple of different ways of accessing it. Like you can sneak in the back and you come up on the rafters, or you can go straight in through the front door and fight the big guy with a machine gun and then wander your way down. Um, and it's like they'll, you'll get told from the NCPD, oh, like, yeah, this is a crime lord. He's in the area, he's responsible for, you know, drug trafficking or, um, slavery or murder or whatever. And it's like, yeah, you've got to 
go and take them down, uh, lethal force approved, all that kind of thing. And you're basically becoming a subcontractor for the NCPD because the NCPD basically act like a corp um, in Night City. And those are quite fun. I would be careful with them. Some of them are quite challenging because these are big open areas. Like there's one that takes place in Pacifica near a near the Ferris wheel. And on that one, there are about 20 to 30 guys and several big turrets and a lot of cameras. So you can get caught quite easily. You can sneak through and take most of them down, um, depending on what you how you play the game. Because that's another thing I really like about Cyberpunk, is you can level yourself up in a way that you can kind of do a bit of everything. And this game does reward that. And it rewards it quite well as well, you know, if you do specify yourself for to be a net runner or to be a stealth build or to be just a straight-up combat tank. But I've got, you know, a lot of missions will kind of encourage stealth. And it's one of those, if you go in and try to be stealthy, you might fail. But doesn't matter if you fail, because if you succeed, you, you know you may not have as much as many points in stealth. But if you do manage to go through without being seen, and manage to take down all the guys, you can get rewarded for it anyway. So you don't necessarily have to be a stealth build to succeed at a stealthy mission. You don't necessarily have to be a combat build to succeed at a combat mission. And I really like that. And it means that, you know, this is a game where you can do a bit of everything. And that's my sort of play style for this this type of game anyway. I like being able to do a bit of everything. And, you know, like I said, some missions reward you for going in stealthily. Some missions reward you for hacking. Some missions reward you for just going in all guns blazing. I'd like to be able, you know, there's so many stealth games that I've played where I can try and do it the stealthy approach and not be very good at it. And then I have to go in all guns blazing. But in Cyberpunk 2077, if I go in stealthy, I might actually succeed. But if I don't, I know I can also hold myself in a fight. And that works for me. That really works for me. Um, Now, I hinted a bit about some of the crossover that you can get between missions. Um, and there are some good ones. For example, there's um, a a crime boss. And I can't remember if you take him down as part of a gig or as part of a reported crime. I think it's a gig. It's like an assassination mission. Because you get different types of gig missions. So you get uh, Agent Saboteur, which is like you go in, sabotage this computer, sabotage this, for example. Uh, Gun for Hire, which is basically you're an assassin. Uh, Search and Recover, which usually involves you going in and stealing something or raiding a computer and then getting out. Um, those are the ones that do tend to reward you a bit more if you do it stealthily. Thievery as well is very similar to that. Um, no, sorry, Search and Recover is usually cars. Usually recovering a car, thievery is usually recovering an item, and then you take the item and put it in a drop box. Um, SOS Merc Needed, which is, they, they can be 
a variety of things. You could be being used as a bodyguard. You could be uh, being asked to meet someone. Um, all sorts of different things. And then special delivery, which is usually take this, take it there. There's only a couple of those in the whole game. Um, so, yeah, thievery and gun for hire tend to be the big ones. Thievery especially, if you can get out without... Um, you know, if you can do a thievery mission without being spotted, you know, um, even if you, you are spotted, as long as you take down people before they trigger an alarm or anything, um, they can usually reward you quite well. But yeah, I was talking about this this mission in Watson. So you get given this gang leader in Watson, and I think it, I'm pretty sure it's a gunfire one. So you go in and you get told to... It, it's in a club, and then there's levels above this club, like apartment levels. And you go up and you find that there's the people in here have been responsible for um, sex trafficking, organ harvesting, everything. You you read the computers, you read the shards, and you learn that the main guy that you've been sent in for, Jotaro Shobo, he's a big high up in the Tiger Claws, and he has got his fingers in everything. Like, he's responsible for so much uh, of, like, the crime in Watson. And you deal with him in this mission. The thing is, if you've done other missions in Watson, including cyber psycho missions, uh, assaults in progress, um, you know, scanner hustles, reported crimes, even some of the other gigs, Jotaro Shobo is usually mentioned in them. Like a lot of the shards and computer terminals will mention Jotaro Shobo, either because people are acting on his orders, people have approached him for help and he's refused them, He's just an ever-present threat within Watson that is affecting so many other characters. And it's like, I really like that. I really like that level of connection. Um, there's two guys working on brain dances who are the similar sort of thing. You know, they've got... Um, they're running this, this brain dance operation and it's like they get mentioned a lot of other ones and they're... There's some pieces of work. You deal with them in Northside. They're one of the, the later quests. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to spoil it. Um, the very good one. Um, or like one of the one of the good ones that has a, a, a quest is a quest with Biotechnica. You get sent to, in to deal with this Biotechnica suit. And if you're, um, you know, she was experimenting on a nomad clan, a lot of them died. Um, and so obviously if you're a nomad as well, you get like a bit of a personal stake in that. You deal with her. If you've done that mission and then later on go and get do one of the other gigs, and this other gig that you do involves uh, transporting a car, but you hear something rattling in the boot, so you go around and open it, there's a corpo inside. Now, you have the option of finding out more about him. You find out about him that he works for Biotechnica. If you've done that other Biotechnica mission, you can ask him about the woman that you eliminated, and he was part of that team. So you could then choose to deal with him as you see fit based on that information. You know, um, a lot of good stuff like that. Regarding extra gameplay as well, um, I've already mentioned the beat on the brat, which is kind of a, a boxing type match. Um there's a few of them that are really interesting. You get one in kind of every main area. The one in Pacifica especially involves a character who calls you up in an earlier mission called Ozob. 
Ozob has a grenade in place of his nose, which is amazing. Um, so you have to be quite careful during that fight, unless you want to make his grenade explode, um, in which case you can deliberately aim for it. Um, there's also some races. You do these with the help of Claire Russell, who is the bartender in the afterlife, and she hires you for them. There's a lot more going on there in terms of like her own personal mission, but you get, I think, three or four races, and they're quite fun. Um Vehicle combat something that they've really kind of added in the new stuff. Um, the races were um, in the original game. They're very good. I enjoyed them quite a lot. Um, the other main gameplay difference is really the brain dances. And considering how good of a feature it is, and the fact that it has its own distinct tutorial when you first do it with Judy... Um, they're not as prominent as you'd think. Um, there's the the tutorial brain dance that you do, which is quite interesting, and I do recommend doing it um, at least once because I actually quite enjoy it. It's got a, a good twist, lets you re reassociate yourself with the formula when you're going through on a, a new game, uh, you know, doing a new game. Um, then you explore Evelyn's... Uh, brain dance of the penthouse of Uranobu's penthouse so that you can plan the heist um, then you do the one with the Perales quest then you do another one as part of River Ward's Peter Pan quest that one's quite interesting because it's like three separate brain dances like one after the other um, and then you do a couple more as part of Evelyn's quest line that's pretty much it which is a shame because I do really like the brain dance aspect, which is that essentially you're given someone else's viewpoint um, of a, a recording of something that they've lived through. I don't even think there's many in. Um... No, there isn't really even any uh, brain dances as part of um, Phantom Liberty, thinking about it. Um there's one similar thing where you sort of take a drug and you end up kind of viewing things from this other character's perspective, but it's not quite the same. But yeah, I really like the idea of the brain dance because it's like, and and this is something where, I th again, I think that the decision for the game to be in first person really helps because you're getting to see something through this other character's eyes and you become more immersed in it as a result and it's very interesting, especially when you can go through on, on the brain dance, it allows you to edit the brain dance layer. So you can go from directly viewing it to sort of viewing it in a third person perspective. And you can view the um the audio layer, the visual layer, and in some cases the infrared layer, and scan for clues. And those clues can help you sort of put things together. So, like, for example, in the Peter Pan quest, the, the river one, depending on how many clues you get during that brain dance determines whether you succeed on that mission or not. Because if you don't get enough of the clues, you might go to the wrong area and you might not arrive in time to save River's nephew. You know? Um, or, you know, if you if you get things wrong on the you know if you don't scan everything on the heist you might not find a weapon 
you know, there's a legendary weapon there that you can use in the heist because, like, you've had your own weapons taken away. So getting access to this legendary pistol really helps. So, yeah, there's a lot of good gameplay here. And, like I said, I really like the world of Night City. Like, this is a really fun one to keep coming back to. There's so much going on. And I love love the design. I love the buildings. I love the alternate paths. Like, there's a fast travel system here. I rarely use it because the stamina is that high that you can run most places or I can drive the car. And if I drive the car, then I can listen to the radios and explore different paths and levels and other stuff. It's a lot of fun. So, yeah, I really, really, really recommend this game. Literally coming back to record this um, at the release, at like the, the final like 11th hour, uh, because recently, uh, when I say recently, I'm talking literally two days ago at the time of recording, um, they released a final patch for CD Projekt Red released a final patch for Cyberpunk and Phantom Liberty because they've released now an ultimate edition of Cyberpunk with Phantom Liberty included uh, on disc for Xbox Series and PlayStation 5. If you were going to get the game, this is probably the edition I would say to get. Just get everything, get the complete package. It's very good. But the reason why I'm specifically speaking about this patch is because, one, I believe it will be the last patch that we are going to get um, for the game. Like, there might be some other fixes, but this, in terms of like a large content drop, this is the last one. Um, it opens up a lot more of the map, um, a lot more of the open city, um, including restoring the uh, monorail, which hadn't actually been active previously. Like, originally, the, the lines were there and no trains were on them. Then they added the trains. Now you can actually go on and ride the trains. And when you're riding the trains from the train, you can look out the window, you can see other people around you, um, you can go through the stations... It's quite good. I like it. It's very immersive. Um, they've also added a radio player so that you can play the radio music even when you're out of your car, which, by the way, I love, and more and more open-world games should do that. Like, Saints Row 2 had that available as a feature. You, how long ago was that game? 15 years, if not longer? Must have been longer than that. 18 years? God, is it 20? Might be 20 by now. Xbox 360 game, wasn't it? So it was quite a while ago. Um, definitely 15, though, at least. Um, and, you know, that was a feature then, so I don't know why it's not a feature now. In fact, Saints Row 2 has one of my favourite open worlds because of just some of the things that it did and some of the things it allowed you to do as a player. Um, that I really wish more games implemented. Um, but Cyberpunk comes very, very close. Now, the the NCAR, the, the rail system, isn't the only thing they've added. 
it's one of the biggest things. There's also a new highway, um, more new missions um, that, that are available. Um, there's you can now invite your characters to your apartment, like you, I say, your characters, your romance interests. Um, to your apartment and that is quite lovely like i've already experienced that i bought my partner to uh my apartment we were able to shower together uh we were able to um uh they're able to cuddle on the sofa they were the conversations were exactly the same as they were if i was to call them up or go visit them in their apartment um so there's no new conversation options but it just added like an extra layer of interactivity. And it seems that you can repeat this mission and you can do it at all of the apartments you own. So they don't just come to your mega building apartment, mega, uh, mega building H10, um, which is where some of the other unique things are limited. Like, for example, they added in patch 2.0 that you could speak to Johnny in your apartment that's only available in your main apartment. You can't do that in the others. This you can do in your other apartments. Now, I quite like some of the other apartments that they've added, but up until now, apart from brief immersive aspects, you know, like some of them actually have their own things that you can do in them. Like you can light incense or drink coffee or listen to music. Like one of them has got the Roach Race game that you're able to play as an arcade um but essentially they're just aesthetically different um you know there might be a couple of things like one of them you can play guitar you can play guitar in your japantown apartment that's quite cool um but the others there's not much difference now there is there's like functional differences between them you know and the fact that you couldn't like, you didn't have your cat, you didn't have a lot of the memorabilia that you collect on your missions, you didn't have your iguana if you were able to get it from the heist, you couldn't interact with Johnny, made those other apartments not as interesting as your main one. Now they are, because you can now invite your partner there and have their own your own unique interactions with them. So I'm looking forward to doing that. I haven't done them all yet. Um, <clears throat> and presumably there's a lot more that will be added um you know and discovered over the next few days because every time they release a big patch there's always a load of stuff um available that we just haven't found yet like they've brought back the uh, the car races as well i haven't found them yet but apparently they're there you can look for race flag icons on the map and basically repeat um the races they've also added sightseeing binoculars so some of the scenic spots you're now able to view the scenery in a lot more of a, a better way than you could before there's also a whole load of new accessibility options um not the best accessibility options as far as they go i've seen more um more effective accessibility options in a lot of other games but I think it is a step in the right direction. And you can do things like, for example, turn off the uh, timer in the Breach Protocol minigame, um, which is one of those. I can manage with it, and there were perks to like extend the time before. Um, but now just having it as an option and having it to able to change is quite good. 
Um, there's also things like you're able to now sit at the bars. You can interact with more vendors around the streets. Um, you can have gangs. Uh, you can get like notoriety with gangs if you do uh, a gig or a quest in a particularly aggressive way. You might end up then finding yourself being chased um, by the gang after the mission. Um, so yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, and a lot of the other bits are just fixes and being able to buy. Uh, weapons that you may have missed from the black market vendor in Dogtown um, and other things like that. So a lot of fixes are here um, and there's not a lot that's really changed too much gameplay, but it's just made everything a lot more immersive, you know, and some of the boss fights are going to be harder. Like I'm really looking forward to refighting Adam Smasher with the amount of tweaks he's had recently like, because I found him not that challenging the first time I fought him. And I've fought him three times so far. And they weren't, he wasn't too challenging either of those times. I'm very much looking forward to fighting him again because he got quite significant overhauls, both with patch 2.0 and patch 2.1. So I'm expecting a lot more of a challenge now. Um, because. I'm not being challenged as much in the main game anymore. Um, you know, playing an end game character, like a max level character um, with some perks that I really find quite helpful. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. There's new vehicles as well. Um, you're now able to do uh, flips and tricks on bikes. Um, so if you're able to hit ramps and stuff, you can now favorite weapons uh, and cars to prevent you accidentally selling or disassembling your weapons or uh, make it easier to find your cars. Like if you've unlocked all the cars in the game, you have a huge list. So you have to scroll down to find your favorites. But now you can like favorite them. And I've got like three cars, well, two cars and a bike favorited. So that I don't know if there's going to be a limit on how many you can favorite, but it's at least enough that you can put some of your favorites up there. So yeah, it's enhancing the game. And I think this will probably be the last big content patch now. Um, and if it is, that's fine because the immersive quality here is what I'm looking for. Like, I don't think I'm ever going to be at the point now where I use the fast travel system in this game. Between driving, walking, and now the monorail, there is no need for me to ever want to do the fast travel system because it's much more fun and much more immersive traveling the city and living the city. Like I said, I really like Night City. I really like the design of it. I really like the atmosphere of it. This is a lot of fun. Like The first thing I did when I got to the end cart was work out where I wanted to go and what line I needed. And I just went to the nearest station to test it out. But I was like, okay, well, if I'm here, I want to get to my apartment. That's up there. But there's two lines coming from this station. Okay, well, which one takes me closest to my apartment? And then you've got to work out and then you've got to, you know, make sure you get off at the right station so that you can get turn around and get the next train. Unfortunately, 
you know, there is a bit of a jump between like the doors of the station and being on the train. Um, like you don't actually get to go up and like walk onto the train again, something Saints Row 2 did. You know, you, you could walk up to the station, walk onto the train. Can't do that here. <sighs> Saints Row 1 definitely had that. But yeah. So, but it's better than it was and it is more immersive than it was. And I think it's not going to be long before I completely replay this game again from the start and looking at every single thing they've changed across the game because there's a lot now that has been changed and enhanced and added since Phantom Liberty came out. Like, I could, especially with 2.1 as well, there are a lot more changes throughout the game all the way across it. Like, you know, my endgame character, I can't go back to the old gigs and then end up with a gang chasing me afterwards because I've done all my gigs. So going back and doing that with an early game character again is going to be a lot of fun. So yeah. If you want to get into this game, now is the perfect time to do it. Okay. I'll tell you why I want to destroy Arasaka, but I'll only tell you once. Want to hear it? All right. I saw a corpse strip farmers of water and eventually of land. Saw them transform Night City into a machine fueled by people's crushed spirits, broken dreams, and empty pockets. Corps have long controlled our lives, taken lots, and now they're after our souls. Might be right. Can't really argue with you there. V, I've declared war not because capitalism's a thorn in my side or out of nostalgia for an America gone by. This war's a people's war against a system that spiraled out of our control. It's a war against the fucking forces of entropy. Understand? Do whatever it takes to stop them, defeat them, gut them. If I gotta kill, I'll kill. If I need your body, I'll fucking take it. Fucking hell. You still don't see it, but you will one day. So I'm going to put on a big old spoiler warning now because while I obviously have been discussing game and gameplay and things like this, this is where I'm really going to get into the story spoilers of the end game um, because this is obviously a large part of why I like this game uh, and the main story and some of it I only realised on like I think my second playthrough just how connected this all is. And it's really good. Okay. So yeah, you have been warned. Basically, um, after you've completed the quest line with Evelyn, um, you find out that she was, high, you know, once you've rescued her, you brought her back to, um, 
to Judy's apartment and you've learned about all the abuse that she's gone through. Evelyn's what happens to Evelyn is completely unjustified. Like it's so cruel. Like the things she goes through at the hands of um you know, after being attacked in clouds and then being left comatose and what Fingers does to her and what Woodman does to her and then everything else and then obviously getting sold to the scavs as well because you go and rescue her from a scav den um, and they've clearly been abusing her as well. You know, and you bring her back and she's catatonic and she eventually commits suicide which is what leads to Judy's quest line. It's so dark. It's completely undeserved. Like, Evelyn's one of the big characters that I feel the most sorry for in this game because she does not deserve her fate at all. But yeah, um, it turns out Evelyn was hired by the Voodoo Boys. And you learn this through uh, a brain dance that Judy is able to scroll. And the Voodoo Boys have hired her to steal the relic because they want what's on the relic, specifically Johnny Silverhand's engram, because they believe that Johnny Silverhand can lead them to someone called Alt. This is the whole reason behind the heist. And it's like everything ties back to Alt. Okay, Essentially, Alt Cunningham was a lover of Johnny Silverhands, um, you know, back during his days in Samurai. Alt got abducted by Arasaka because she developed the Soul Killer program, you know, which turns people into an engram. She developed it. They kidnap her and hook her up into their virtual subnet. Because they want her to, they want to essentially learn everything from her. Okay. Johnny breaks into Arasaka Tower with the help of Rogue to try and rescue her. This isn't the raid on Arasaka Tower in 2023. This is before then. This is back in 2013, I believe. And he breaks into Arasaka Tower to try and rescue Alt. However, he's unable to save her, and Alt is believed killed. You know, being killed and dying while being disconnected from the the Netrunner chair that she was wired into by Johnny. Now, the developers have actually said that Johnny is an unreliable narrator and that you shouldn't trust a lot of his flashbacks. For example, um, the original flashback for Arasaka Tower, where he says how he died, he makes out like the attack on Arasaka was all him, and that he goes out in this blaze of glory, getting taken down by Adam Smasher, then getting actually soul-killed by um, Saburo Arasaka himself to put him on the relic. That doesn't happen in the canon, and the reason we know this is because, obviously, Cyberpunk is also a uh, tabletop RPG, and there is actually a mission in the tabletop RPG Cyberpunk Red, where you find out exactly what happened to Johnny Silverhand. And the actual mission to blow up Arasaka Tower was part of the fourth corporate war that was building up between Militech and Arasaka. And 
Morgan Blackhand, who's another legendary mercenary, hired Johnny as like a distraction. And it was Morgan who actually blew up Arasaka Tower using the bomb. And Johnny was actually killed by Adam Smasher. Um, and it was Spider Murphy, their netrunner, who actually used the soul killer process on him to save his engram. It's not quite clear using that logic, though, how um, Arasaka got hold of his engram. But that's beside the point. Anyway, you do the Voodoo Boys quest line and you get to experience the interaction between Johnny and Alt. And, you know, you have the option based on how you're pursuing the Voodoo Boys quest to either side with them or side with Netwatch. Turns out Netwatch... Basically, the Voodoo Boys are all Netrunners. They are exploring the internet. Essentially, there was something called the Data Crash that happened about 20, 30 years ago. Um, where a character called Raish Bartmoss um, essentially crashed the internet, let loose a whole load of rogue AIs. The rogue AIs are separated from the rest of human society by something called the Black Wall. The Voodoo Boys keep trying to breach the Black Wall. Netwatch is the corporation set up to defend it and stop them doing it. The Netwatch agent that you meet during this questline reveals that the Black Wall is less of like, um, you know, a fortified like Great Wall of China style thing. And he says it's more like a, a black bin bag taped over a broken window, you know, and the voodoo boys keep going along and poking holes in it. So, you know, you have the option of siding with one or the other. And neither of them are being completely truthful with you. Um, it's also implied that um, they were also after the relic. Like they, Evelyn actually contacted them about it as well, and she was trying to use that to try to get out of Night City. So, you know, the whole re reason behind the heist is the relic. Everything's about the relic. The reason the voodoo and Evelyn finds out what's on it, and that's why she tries to bargain with Netwatch for it as well. But essentially, it turns out that Alt didn't die. She ended up on the net because Johnny got contacted by her several years later. And she was still alive, but in cyberspace. And she managed to... Um, she was trapped inside Makoshi, which is the Arasaka subnet, which was based in their tower. And so Johnny's reason for going along with the height, uh, with the Arasaka tower bombing was so that he could hack into Makoshi to try and free Alt, which he did. And Alt ended up free and is now beyond the black wall. She's a rogue AI herself, right? So the Voodoo Boys help you to meet Alt using Johnny and using his um, his mental engram. Alt recognizes you and approaches you. And she basically understands what's going on and says that she can help you. And depending on how far you are along with certain quest lines, there are different things that come up here. For example, if you have all the way with the Nomad quest line by the point you do this particular Voodoo Boys mission... Um, you can mention that you've obviously got this whole big nomad family who are willing to back you up because you've ended up quite tight with the Alder Caldos as a result of helping Pan Am and Saul. 
basically, Alt says she will help you, but she wants something in exchange. She wants you to break into Makoshi, which is, like I said, Arasaka subnet. She wants to break in there, and she wants to... Well, I think she says she wants to free them, but that's not quite what she wants to do. But she wants to get into Makoshi to have access to the engrams of people that Arasaka has stored there. Okay. So, that sets you up for the end game. By this point as well, once you've done all the other quests... um, the quest that unlocks is called Nocturne OP551. OPM551, I think. Um, essentially, Nocturne asks you to go and meet with Hanako, because Hanako has agreed to help you, Hanako Arasaka. The reason she's agreed to help you is because, um, and this is where I'm going to spoil something that I didn't mention earlier when I was talking about the heist. During the heist, Yorinobu kills Saburo Arasaka and he blames it on like an attack but you reveal to Hanako and Goro that you are the truth, you are the eyewitness you and Jackie watch it happen you're hidden in the room when it happens and you watch it, great moment um, and so you know that Yorinobu has killed his father and he's now blaming it on Militech, make, you know, using it as like an argument for a new corporate war. So you have the option to kind of resolve that. So essentially, you go and meet with Hanako, and at this point, the relic really starts acting up. Your health is getting really bad, and you're on borrowed time. And this is where you have the option of which ending to take. Now, the endings are divided up as Star, Sun, Devil, and Temperance. Um, and what they actually are depends on sort of which, which thing you are doing, essentially. Um, because each of the options kind of involves one of the major quest lines. So, for example, there's an ending where you side with Hanako and Goro and you go into Arasaka yourself. And you kind of, you know, you join up with Hanako and Goro to go into Arasaka legitimately and confront Yorinobu. And, you know, that's the... I want to say it's the... It's the sun ending? No, I'm going to have to check now. No, the devil ending, sorry, because you've sided with Arasaka. So first of all, you have to save Hanako, because she ends up getting kidnapped by some of Yorinobu's men. Then you end up breaking into Arasaka Tower, siding with um, Hanako, dealing with Yorinobu. And it turns out, if you do that ending, Saburo Arasaka's engram has been saved, and his goal the entire time was to pass his engram into Yorinobu's body. And Yorinobu must have found out about it. It's a very, very dark idea. And, you know, based on that ending, Arasaka actually helps you, you know, remove the relic and keep you alive. But you are still dying. You don't interact with Alt in this ending. 
so you don't free Makoshi, hence the devil, I suppose. Because um, you are literally making a deal with the devil, being Arasaka. And this is quite a dark ending. You end up in a space station. You're very, very ill. Arasaka are kind of keeping you there and interrogating you. Your health is failing. And either Goro, if he's still alive, or Hellman will come to you at, the, at one point and say, look, you have two options. Either you can go into stasis and we can upload you to Makoshi and you know we'll resolve something when we can. Or we can let you go, but you will die very soon. And depending on what option you you undertake, uh, you know, either makes that even worse or slightly better. So that's the devil ending. The sun ending. Um, let me just remember this one. I think the sun ending is the one where you decide to attack um, Arasaka Tower. And you. this involves you having completed a lot of Johnny's questline with Rogue. Because if you've done that, um, that involves picking the right questline options with Johnny. So you might not have access to this ending at all. Um, but essentially, you allow Johnny control. Johnny goes and links up with Rogue. And you and Rogue storm Arasaka Tower. However, if you do this, Rogue will end up dead. So, Rogue will end up dead. You manage to break into Makoshi. You fight Adam Smasher. Um, you know, and I think this is... I don't know if you kill Adam Smasher in every ending. I don't think you fight him in the, the Devil ending. I might be wrong, but you definitely fight him here in the Sun ending. And it's quite a tough fight. He's he's a very, very powerful opponent. Um, but yeah, um, you lose Rogue, you team up with Alt, you access Mikoshi, and you meet Alt in cyberspace. And this is where you have the option, and you get this option anytime you meet Alt, but in this time you're doing it from Johnny's perspective, not from V's perspective. You have the option of, basically, when you linked up to Mikoshi, Alt used Soul Killer on V. And so she has V's engram and Johnny's engram. Okay? One of you can go with Alt, and one of you can go back to your body. However, V's body has been changed by the relic, like irreparably. And as a result, V has a life expectancy of about six months if V goes back to their body. However, if Johnny goes back to the body, they will end up living quite a bit longer. Okay. Now, to get the sun ending... You have to, as Johnny, you have to go with Alt, which gives V back their body. V goes to their body, and they do an ending called Path of Glory. They've basically made it to the Major Leagues, as uh, Jackie always used to say. You are now running the afterlife in Rogue's Place. You are one of the biggest, most well-known mercs in the city. And you get hired by someone called Mr. Blue, Mr. Blue Eyes to rob an orbital space station, which is called the Crystal Palace. 
Um, now, Mr. Blue Eyes' character, who is actually quite intriguing, there's a lot of theories about him, he plays a role in the Perales quest line, because after you help solve Lucius Ryan's murder, you get contacted with a couple of other quests by them. And one of them is, is very, very disturbing, where it comes that the idea is that they are being monitored by a corp and having their memories altered. And before you can go and reveal the truth to Jefferson, um, first of all, Elizabeth will ask you not to. And then just as you're on the way to meet him, you will get hacked and almost killed. And the character, Mr. Blue Eyes, is watching your interaction with Jefferson. And depending on what you tell Jefferson alters that quest like jefferson can either become quite paranoid or he can sort of move on not knowing but essentially the corp uh well the corp or an ai or something it's very unclear there's a lot of fan theories about it it's probably going to play a role in the next game because there are some hints that maybe it might be an ai and that there's hints of other ai things going on so i think that might be where the game's going to go you know a lot of the black wall stuff um so yeah, the the path of glory ending might play into that quest line. Um, alternatively, you can go to the body as Johnny. If you do that, um, you get a different ending called the Temperance ending, where you basically let Johnny Silverhand keep your body. However, if you do, Johnny essentially leaves Night City, and. It's a very short ending um, with Johnny leaving Night City. It's it's barely a mission. Um, and Johnny just up and leaves. And all the connections that you have made as V mean nothing. Like, in every ending, you get epilogues where over the credits, people will call you and contact you and leave you voice messages depending on what happened and obviously these interactions are very very different based on you know who you romanced how you solved their quest lines um things like that and you can get calls from uh, jefferson perales mama wells uh river pan am uh judy uh mitch uh kerry um a few others as well Goro, and like I said, it all depends on how you've solved their quest lines, who's left alive. Um, oh, and Misty as well. Misty and Victor always contact you as well. And yeah, if you give Johnny your body, he basically just skips town and leaves everyone. Um, which is a real shame. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a really interesting one. The final ending, and this one's my favourite. I mean, it's not the absolute final ending. There is one other one, which is you could... There's a secret ending, um, which I haven't done yet because I haven't actually been able to unlock it because you need to follow certain responses in a quest line called Chipping In to actually get it to unlock. So you need a certain percentage of approval with Johnny Silverhand. But if you do, basically you and Johnny storm Arasaka Tower alone, um, this time with V in control of the body, and you basically go in through the front door, guns blazing. It's essentially a suicide mission. Um, but obviously you can survive it. And if you do it that way, um, 
you get the Path of Glory ending. Um, and, you know, if you do it this way, you... Well, you, you can either get the Path of Glory or the Temperance ending. Um, but this time Rogue doesn't die because she doesn't help you to do it. You just do it all by yourself. So there's that option. Uh, there's also a final option, which is a suicide ending. And I think you have to have done one of the other endings to unlock the suicide. If you do, the, the recorded messages on the suicide ending are heartbreaking. The one from Judy, especially. The the actress playing Judy was doing a fantastic job there. Um, I mean, they all were. The, all of them are heartrending in their own way. But that particular one is like the first one that comes up. And it's horrible. Um, horrible but in the best way it's just like tearing your heart out and stamping on it Um, but yeah the final ending and this one's my favourite because it feels like the ending you have to really work for Um, because I know I said you have to unlock um, the sun ending based on certain choices with Rogue and Johnny Um, but the star ending you only get if you complete the Aldecaldo's quest line so if you complete Pan Am's quest line because basically, if you do this, the Alder Caldos have a tank. Okay? Um, you've helped them steal a tank. And using this tank, the Alder Caldos, because you are now part of their family, team up with you, and several of them join you in an assault to sort of tunnel under Arasaka Tower, like under Night City, from the Badlands, um, to tunnel under Arasaka Tower, break in, and, um, you know, get to challenge everything. You get to you get to team up with Alt, you go in with Pan Am and Saul, and they're both helping you along. It's really good. Saul does die, and he's not the only Aldecaldo that dies. Some of the other supporting characters also die, um, I believe. Tom, and I think it might be Cassidy. Um, so, yeah, this ending isn't without cost, but it's so much bigger and more dramatic than the other endings because there's a lot more going on. There's several stages of the fight, um, you know, and you get to use a tank for a lot of it, which is a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, you go in, you enter Mikoshi, and conclude the plot line with V as well, uh, with with Alton, Johnny, and depending on how you resolve it. Um, again, if you get V and go back to your body as V, V joins the Aldecaldos and leaves the city. And if you have Romance Judy, she will come with you. She's the only ro- this is the only ending where you can actually continue that romance because otherwise Judy just up and leaves town. Um, other endings un- keep different romances. Um, like, I think you know, if you do the Path of Glory, uh, you know, the Sun ending, and you end up with the mission Path of Glory, I think in that, V can stay in a relationship with River, um, but I don't think you can stay in a relationship with Pan Am if you do that. So if you want to continue a relationship with Pan Am or Judy, both of whom are probably the two best romances in the game um just because of how early you meet those characters and how well developed they are this is the ending that you need 
and like I said, it's it was so cool when I was playing the female V and it's like Judy had been talking about leaving town and here I am in the ending where I'm leaving the city with the Alder Caldos and Judy comes along as well. And I was like, that's lovely. So yeah, I really enjoyed this ending. Um, and yeah, it just ends with you, you know, leaving Night City. You managed to break through the wall, um, you know, the barrier wall and go outside and you just, you're gone. You've left Night City behind. And there's a chance that V might find help. You know, the Aldecaldos have connections around the country. You might find a solution. But if not, you're with your family. And that is the closest that you get, really, to a happy ending in this. There aren't really many happy endings in Night City. Like, that's true of a lot of the quest lines, a lot of the... You know, not just the main quest, but obviously a lot of the side quests. There's not a lot of happy endings in this game. This is probably the closest you get to a a genuinely happy ending. And like I said, for me, it works best as the canon ending because it feels like it's the one you have to earn. You know, to get this ending, you have to... Work with Alt, you have to work with the Elder Caldos, you have to complete the Elder Caldos quest line. If you want Judy to leave with you as well, you have to complete her quest line. Um, I don't think she can leave with you on this if you haven't romanced her though, so you do have to be playing as a female V to do that. Um, I mean, you can play as trans or non-binary, but there's like the, the romances are linked to body type and voice. So one romance is linked to feminine body type one of them is linked to feminine voice one of them is linked to masculine body type one of them is linked to masculine voice um so i think it's the body type ones are river and kerry and the voice ones are judy and pan am so you can have a masculine v with the feminine voice um who can romance kerry i believe i might be wrong about that um But yeah, it's possible to play non-binary in this as well, which, again, I quite like. Uh, and I think more character creators should have that. But yeah, the star ending seems to be the, the closest you get to a happy ending. And it's not completely happy, but, you know, Johnny gets something out of it. You know, if you do the, if you do the Arasaka ending, that's definitely the worst one. And it's like, if you haven't done much else, that is your only option. You know, it is completely possible not to have any of the other endings available because you've just sped to the ending and all you have available is the devil ending. And in fact, in any ending that isn't the devil ending, it's implied that Hanako basically tries to assault Arasaka Tower herself and dies. And... Takamura basically calls you up in in his um his epilogue message and just basically says fuck you V you know because you've left Hanako to die, um, <laughs> but yeah without that you know you, you get more stuff for the other endings. The only other ending that I dislike is is letting Johnny take your body because. While it gives Johnny like another shot at life, 
Um, B's essentially gone. Ed, <laughs> you know, it's it's bad. It's not a good, not a happy ending. But yeah, so so there's still some fun stuff. But yeah, the star ending especially has a lot of missions, a lot of quite long, intricate battles. Definitely the most fun, I think. And the fact you have to work so hard to earn it, to have it unlocked as an option, reinforces to me that it's like, yeah, that's the best ending. What the... It's like someone shoved my head in the place. You're going to be okay. I know about the bomb ticking in your head. If I could disarm it now, I would in a heartbeat. You'll feel better any second now. Maybe something stinks here. Think she's she's fucking with the relic. How in the all true, Johnny. But don't you fret. No, fuck off. Both of us on the biochip protocol at once can trigger shocks for me, like you just saw now. Gotta cut you off. When you're safe, you're busy. So I'm coming back to this episode after Phantom Liberty. I've done, at this point, a review of Phantom Liberty, which should be out already. Um, And... You know, this is where I wanted to discuss some of the spoilers for Phantom Liberty itself that I didn't discuss in the review. I kept that relatively spoiler-free. Because Phantom Liberty does unlock a new ending for the game as well. And it's very, very interesting. The actual main quest line for Phantom Liberty is good as well. There are quite a few um, variations in it. Um, you know, based on what's going on. And it leads to, like I said, a new ending, which is very, very interesting. Um, but yeah, basically, as you're going through the quest line for Phantom Liberty, you're working with, you know, the first, the first part is you sort of saving Myers and then helping to try and get her out of the city. Um, you get her out of Dogtown with the help of Solomon Reed, um Reed then links you up with Alex, who's his other former partner. Um, and you get some quite good missions with Alex, actually. The mission where you just sort of hang out in the bar and dance, that's really touching, and I quite liked it. Um so yeah, um you can side with that um and at that point you you're wanting to get into Hansen's big party because Songbird has told you that she's being held prisoner by Hansen. So 
you get some help to kind of to go in and you get given a uh you get given a new implant which is like a mask and the mask is to um sort of allow you to shapeshift and you see this implant in use on Alex because when you first meet her, she's disguised as just a random bartender. She's got her own, like, assumed name, so she's fully hidden. And essentially, there's a chip that goes with it, like a behavioral chip, um, which allows you to essentially become that person as long as you can build a profile on them. And the whole point of you breaking into this party is one, so you can touch base with Songbird, and you get a, a reveal of Songbird as well. Because up until now, you've only seen the mental projection of her inside your head through the relic. And when you actually see her, she's far more chromed up um, than you would think. She's got a lot more cyberware. She looks mostly artificial, to be honest. Like a lot, She's got huge amounts of cyberware up and down her back and across the back of her head. She looks like she could just be plugged straight into a machine. Um, and this is all part of you know, things that have happened to her to keep her as a net runner. And it's because Myers is basically using her to access the black wall, which we do find out. And she's been breaking through the black wall and sort of linking with AIs there, which is what's given her this power. So it's like, it was actually one of the black wall AIs that took control of the chimera. Um, you know, the giant robot that she tried to hack earlier on in the plot line and attacked you and Myers she lost control of it because the AI took control instead. Um, so it's a very dangerous game she's playing. But yeah, in this party, you can meet up with these two French netrunners and you've lost track of Reed, but you can essentially engage them in conversation and build the profile yourself and take everything you need from the two of them. Um it's really fun. The party is actually a really good mission, and there's lots of nice um, side quests in it. Like, there's the, the performance from Lizzie Wizzy, who comes back and performs a delicate weapon. Um, and then, obviously, based on your interactions in the game, you might see certain other characters there. Like, um, I saw Mayeko from the Judy's Clouds quest line. She's there. Um, couldn't interact with her, unfortunately, but she was there. And there was a few other like celebrities, like the newsreaders were both there, Arafik Ball and Gillian Jordan. Um, the comedian that people um, said looks like, that Goro looks like, you can he's there, you can actually interact with him and say, I've got a friend that looks like you. Um, so that's quite fun. Um, but this then leads to you impersonating one of the twins with Alex impersonating the other one and you go and meet with Hansen and this is where Songbird is like linking up with you and she says yeah basically Hansen's got a device which has um an AI in it um and we can use it to try and cure us and try and help us um, but, you know, we have to kind of work together to get away from Hansen to do it. And it's quite intriguing. This is the mission Firestarter, and this is where the divergent paths for the endings of the Phantom Liberty questline come into play, because 
you've also been given a hack that can try and take down Songbird. Like it was part of something you were implanted with along with the, the face chip and the behavioral chip. Um, and Reed obviously wants you to use it and take Songbird out. You know, and, and you and Alex are both there disguised in kind of the belly of the beast. Now, you have the option of turning on Songbird or siding with her. Like, you can you can completely trust her and decide to go with her and escape from Reed. And that alters the final quests of the DLC. Now, the first time I did it, I decided to side with Songbird, and you and Songbird break out of um, Hanson's uh, stadium together. Hanson himself ends up being killed by Alex. Um, you end up sort of fighting your way out, but you lose track of Reed and uh, Alex. And you both escape Dogtown, and then Songbird, so me, gets back in touch with you a bit later on, and she says she needs your help to get to the moon, because there's the moon is colonized in Cyberpunk, and there's a space station at Morrow Rock, which is just outside of Night City, and she wants you to help take her there and get her into space. So you can do that. You can go on that mission. Um, you get stopped by security, but you can sort of negotiate your way around it uh, or end up getting arrested and break your way out. There's all sorts of ways to do it. Um, but essentially, if you do this, everything will go wrong. And at some point, you have to link up with the Black Wall and you have to team up with Song with Somi to do it, which means you get access to the same abilities that she has through the Black Wall and you're able to use them to just tear your way through a whole load of like the nusa's best agents because the nusa arrive in full force like you see them from the roof like you're hiding in the ducts and you see them and you overhear a conversation between reed and myers where myers basically gets reed on side and you know you go through everything so really hurt and she reveals to you that basically she lied and the AI will only work once and she's just trying to save herself. She's been stringing you along. So at this point, you have the option of either calling Reed and handing her over because she's unconscious or putting her in the shuttle and sending her to the moon and letting her live. And doing either of those gets you um new options but it's only if you hand her over to read that you get access to the new ending okay so that's one option the second way of completing firestarter and this is the one i did the second time through um and i quite like this one um i haven't done the the alternative missions where, where you know, you if you end up killing Reed and allowing Songbird to escape, I haven't done the endings there because it will carry on and there'll be more sort of payoff to those quest lines. Um, like Alex will get in touch with you because obviously she's still alive. So it's that aspect and you've got, kind of got to deal with that. 
So I haven't done that, and that's something I'll do in a future playthrough. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but, you know, if you if you hand her over to Reed, Reed basically gives her to Myers, um, and, you know, if you do that, that's when you unlock the option of the new ending because you can basically say to Reed, look, this is my price. You want her, this is my price. I want you to help save my life. You know, so you kind of, you turn on some, on so me and hand her over um, for yourself, basically, which is quite sad. Um, so then I did it the second, and I did actually play through and and that's where i played the ending for the first time i'll get to the actual the new ending in a minute it's called things done changed and it's called the tower the tower ending so i'll talk about the tower ending in a minute um the other way of doing the quest and which leads to its own two endings is um by siding with reed in the firestar quest and you try and upload the hack to songbird it fails and she escapes. She breaks out. Um, Alex ends up being killed by Hansen because Hansen realizes something's gone wrong when you attack so uh, Songbird, and he turns on Alex and kills her. So Alex is dead, um, and you end up having to fight Hansen as a boss, which is he's a pretty good boss actually. You had a lot of fun fighting him, um, and. You know, you then have to escape the stadium yourself, um, you know, because Songbird's managed to escape. She gets captured um, by Maxtac because essentially Maxtac swoop into Dogtown and take her down because in her as she's broken out of the stadium, she's been mistaken for a cyber psycho. So Maxtac have turned up to stop her and they arrest her. And then you have to find, basically find out, you know, by hacking into Maxtac how to, you know, rescue her. And you've got to basically ambush a Maxtac convoy in Pacifica so that you can try and save her. You try and break her out, you end up fighting your way through Maxtac, which is quite tough because you get four Maxtac officers. So they're all basically like mini-bosses in themselves. You end up taking them down, but Somi manages to escape. You then hunt her down, and you end up in a big underground... Um, base in Pacifica called which is an old Militech base for Sinoshore. It's like an old Militech project that obviously uh, Songbird knew about. You go in it, you break into it. Um by this point Songmi has kind of linked herself up to like the main computer, but she's also still linked to the Blackwall and AIs are running rogue. So an AI takes control of this drone which is completely unkillable and kind of hunts you around um around this mission so good like it's it's really tense it feels like something out of alien isolation really clever um and yeah i died a lot of this bit um and you've basically got to try and sabotage you know all the systems so that you can actually access songbird and when you do she will plead with you to kill her so then you have the option of sparing her and handing her over to Reed, which again unlocks the new ending, or agreeing and killing her. And if you kill her, you hand her body over to Myers, but Myers refuses to help you because you didn't bring her in alive. 
makes me want to punch Myers. Um, yeah, do not like Rosalind Myers at all, because you basically find out that the whole reason she's been accessing the Black Wall anyway is because Myers has basically been forcing her to, and so that's all she knows. But doing it this way, you actually get to interact with Somi a lot more, and you learn a lot more of her backstory. Like, there's one bit you end up in kind of like, you link with her, and you end up in like a psychic construct together. Um where you see her memories, you see how Reed recruited her. Um, you see kind of some of the main events in her life, like the first time she um, performed a mission with him and things like that. And it's really tragic. Like it's really hard to watch all this and see the damage that everything, in, you know, everything she's done has done to her and not agree to kill her. You know, she's basically asking to die. And this is the ending that I think I like the most. Because one, you get that extra bonding with Songbird. Despite the fact that Alex is dead, you do get that extra bonding with Songbird. You get to learn so much more about her and about her plot and her history and everything like that. But you also realise that giving her back to Maya is essentially a fate worse than death. Because... Myers is just going to put her straight back to work and doing this work is what is killing her. So yeah, it's horrible. And you know, beyond that, there's several other great things in uh, Phantom Liberty. There's, um, as a result of the stadium quest with Firestarter, Hanson ends up dead, so Mr. Hans, the fixer for Dogtown, sort of gets in touch with you and he sort of helps you. Uh, he gives you a mission to sort of solve the uh the the power vacuum um that has evolved among bar guests which involves you using the um the behavioral chip and the face morph to basically pose as a, a cuban cartel um assassin so that's pretty cool it's it's quite an interesting little side quest um mr hands is is pretty great actually in this there's a lot of interesting stuff that develops him a lot more. Um, you know, not just a whole load of gigs. He actually plays a role in several of the quests in Dogtown. But then you get the new ending. The new ending is called um, The Tower. And essentially, after you wait a bit, you will get contacted by Reed, and he'll basically tell you that, you know, they've done everything they need to do with this AI, and they can actually cure you. So you agree to meet them on top of Misty Shop and they fly you out of Night City in an AV. But it is revealed that what they will do to you will kill Johnny. Like in removing the relic, the relic will be destroyed. So Johnny will die. And Johnny can get quite irate about that. And in fact, the actual interaction that you have with him in the AV it's quite dark. You basically tell him tough shit. And I didn't like that at all. Um, but then you have the operation, the relic gets removed, and you wake up. Except it's two years later. You've been in a coma. And because it's two years later, everything has moved on without you. Um, you know, you'll, you'll have a whole load of messages 
from um, Pan Am, Judy, Kerry, River, and Vic. Um, you can try and call them all. Um, Pan Am won't answer. And Mitch will later send you a video message in the epilogue saying that she doesn't want to talk to you and that it would be best if you just don't try and call her again. Um, Judy will be really surprised to see you. Um, she'll be happy that you're still alive, but she's left Night City. She's now living in Pittsburgh and she's married, um, which I think is really sweet. Um, sad, but it's sweet that she moved on. Um Kerry is really happy to hear from you, but he's also busy. He's giving a concert at the Crystal Palace because his tour has really taken off. And he doesn't have time for you at the minute, which is a shame. River is really angry at you at first. Um, and he explains that he's basically sold a whole load of NCPD secrets to Trauma Team because he ended up deep and he needed money to pay for randy's rehab so as a result he's now wanted and really ashamed of himself the only person who's actually happy to see you and has time for you is vic um and vic asks you to come to him so that he can analyze your condition because when you woke up reed basically told you your career as a merc is over the relic has done such damage to your brain that you can now no longer load cyberware. Like, removing the relic has damaged your brain, that cyberware signals will not reach your brain. So V's whole career as a merc is over. And like I said, it's been two years. So your apartment is gone. Um, you, you get text messages from your apartment building basically saying your rent was late, so they've turfed you out and sold all your stuff. Um, so you have nothing. So you go back to Night City, you meet with Vic. Vic's clinic is now a Zeta Tech uh, clinic, so it's not a private clinic anymore. He's now working for a corp. And you can actually see in Vic's eyes that he's really changed and hurt by all this, but, you know, he's trying to put on a brave face. And, you know, he agrees with what's happened. You know, he agrees with the um you know the conclusion that was given to you which is yeah a, a real shame because it's like v's career is now over and you know you end up having to leave vic someone else comes in because like i said he's now working for corpse so a militech person comes in and they take priority so you leave and you walk out onto the street and you end up getting mugged and thrown down a flight of stairs by two guys that you can't defend yourself against, but who probably wouldn't have been blips on your radar before. Night City itself, meanwhile, has, has greatly changed. Arasaka has pulled out of the city. Militech is moving in. There's been a lot of changes. But yeah, you get found after being mugged by Misty. Um, and Misty has also changed. She's also leaving Night City. She's moving to Poland. And Misty basically says that you have to embrace your new part of your life now. If you can't load cyberware, you just have to blend into the background. That's your only option now. You know, you could take up Solomon Reed's offer and go and work for the FIA, but, you know, or you could maybe become a fixer, which is something V suggests, 
but Misty's like, no, don't do that. You're on your own, and you have to blend in and become one of those faces in the crowd. And that's the final shot. The final shot of this ending is Misty getting in a cab and leaving, and V just blending into the crowd, becoming an NPC. It's a really dark ending. Like, really bleak. Um, and I think it quite possibly might be the bleakest ending. Because V is saved. But... V has lost so much else. That... Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> I really don't. Um... So, yeah, for me, the canonical ending of Phantom Liberty, uh, for my character, the one I stuck with, was I sided with Reed in Firestarter and then ended up helping Somi die um, during Somewhat Damaged. So I didn't get this ending as an option because even though I've played it and I'm glad I played it and experienced it, it was it was bleak it was really dark and yeah i think even even the suicide ending is probably a better one than that um yeah so much of these life is just over and you even get exclusive uh, epilogues in this one from mitch and rogue and um goro as well as um the other the other people you've contacted the only the only one who's absent completely is pan am because she does not answer the phone to you mitch contacts you on her behalf and says look she's really pissed at you do not try calling her and yeah it's it's really sad like v has nothing left no connections like even rogue tells you look you're a legend here but if you come into the afterlife in the condition you're in that legend's really going to start to diminish really quickly um you know you find out goro is on the run um because hanako tried to take on yurinobu ended up dying um and he's been blamed for her murder so He's been on the run for like two years. <sighs> yeah, it's it's really bleak. The only one who gives you anything kind of promising is um, Reed, who says, you know, either he's he's agonizing over everything that happened with Songbird, wondering if he could have done things differently. Or he calls you and saying that, you know, he let you both down, both Somi and you, as V, but he recognises that it's not too late to do right by V. And so that's what he wants to do. He wants to help you. So, yeah. It's an interesting one. Um, it really is. I think... The four endings are divided, so um, the tower ending is the one for the brand new ending, and then the ending for the individual quest lines are 
divided again by different tarot cards. So uh, King of Wands is sending Songbird to the moon. Uh, King of Swords is siding with Somi in Firestarter, but then handing her to Reed. Uh, King of Pentacles is siding with Reed in Firestarter, but then uh, still handing Songbird over to Reed and Myers. Or King of Cups, which is the one that I decided to go for, which is um, siding with Reed in Firestarter and helping Songbird to die. That one has the most impact in terms of the most characters die, because Alex is dead, Hansen's dead, and Somi's dead. Um, <laughs> but I don't know, it just felt more conclusive as an ending, and the best ending for those characters. It was good. I really enjoyed Phantom Liberty. There's a lot of nice dilemma to it. Um really adds to the main game and the new ending is good like i said i don't don't want to take that away it's it's good it's really well made really well done they've put a lot of attention and effort into it but i don't think i'd ever choose that ending because it is just bleak and it's it's an ending that is completely dependent on the dlc it's not dependent on anything else in the main game and that's my biggest issue with it. It is completely, you know, it doesn't even pay a result from the main quest. Like, you don't meet Hanako like you do with all the other endings. It's just, you know, it's it's literally just as a result of the DLC. And it's like, by the, the DLC has its own story. It doesn't necessarily need its own ending as well, I don't think. I'm glad it's there. Um, and like I said, it's very interesting, and I like that it depends on your res resolution of the DLC quest as to whether you even have access to it. Again, the whole idea of certain endings being locked off based on your decisions, I do like that. But yeah, it's bleak. <laughs> on behalf of the staff of the Independent California Motel, I wish you all sweet dreams. So I think that kind of brings to a conclusion everything I want to say so far on Cyberpunk 2077. It's a good game that had a troubled launch, but has become something that I think is pretty solid. Um, and I've enjoyed it a heck of a lot more than most other RPGs I've played uh, from Western developers. Like, I think it even might outshine Mass Effect as one of my favourite um, games ever like for the Mass Effect series I can point to you know it, it's the trilogy as a whole um, that I love Cyberpunk 27 has got everything that I like in all three of those games of the trilogy in one and you know just one game and one DLC and it's fantastic um and, you know, how much they're going to add to it now, now that, you know, the DLC is out, I don't know. I'm expecting there probably will still be some patches, and that the patches might still include some some new unmarked quests in the same way that previous patches have. But, yeah, if you've got a next-gen console, if you've got the ability to run Cyberpunk 2077 on your PC... 
then go and get it. You know, I don't think you'll regret playing it. It is a good game. It's a well-made game. And it's clearly been made with a lot of love and passion. And, you know, even as someone who's first real exposure to this universe, you know, the cyberpunk universe from Talosaurian Games and from Mike Pondsmith, my first introduction to it was this game and the trailers for this game. But knowing what I now know about that world, this is a really accurate representation of it. And I'm very excited to see more develop. Like, we already know a sequel is coming. Uh, Cyberpunk Orion is the current code name for it. I have no idea what it's going to be. I don't think it will feature V at all. I think it will feature a completely new character. Um, probably completely new characters, plural. And I'm very intrigued to see what happens with it, what it does. So, so yeah this has become one of my favourites in short order because I think it's really well made and I think it's a lot of fun and I had so much fun with this game right so there's just one thing left to say now which is um, thank you once again for joining me on another episode of Garda Goes Geek all of you out there, please do the very best to look after yourselves. Take the very best care of your physical and mental health as much as you can. And just look after yourselves. We've got more new episodes coming very soon. Lots of exciting topics. So please join us next time for another episode. Until then. Thank you, my friends, for once again joining me on Gardo Goes Geek. Your continued support for this podcast means the absolute world to me, and I am grateful for every single one of you who stays and listens to one of my episodes. It means the absolute world. Now, if you would like to engage more with me or the podcast, we have a Discord community, small but growing, and... And we now have commissions open on Ko-Fi. So if there's a topic you would like to see me cover, you can pay me to cover it. All funds will be used for legal purchase of the relevant items where I do not have them. Have a look on the link tree for more information. Until next time, look after yourselves.